So Brad, it's your birthday. So I want to do something special and talk about one of your favorite movies, Repo Man. And we did that like three years ago. Oh, well, the one about Paddington too. We did that a year ago. Ugh. Want to talk about The Fall? Oh boy, do I. I don't want to see an ordinary film. I want to see something extraordinary. Your sacrifice completes my sanctuary of 1,000 testicles. You ever feel as if your mind had started to erode? What? Let's rock indeed. Welcome to 1,000 Wives of Weird, the podcast for weird movies. I'm your host, Ian Kiefer, and joined as always with... Brad Hefner. Today is a very special episode because it's Brad's birthday bash. Yes, it is. And this this year we did something a little different. Last year on my birthday, we talked about one of my favorite movies, Pontypool, which Mm. you haven't seen. Have you? I haven't. Oh my God, it's amazing. Prepare to fall in love with a man named Stephen McCaddy. He's amazing. The movie's great. When we did Pontypool, I took the story notes. I did all the background checking. And Billy just sort of sat there and agreed with me that, yeah, this it's one of his favorite movies, too. Uh, we've actually talked about it on different versions of this show twice. Ooh. It's one of my favorites that much. But this year, I was like, hey, Ian, why don't you do this for me? Yeah. So I, uh, I'm doing the story notes today, but I also listened to two commentary tracks for our movie today. So we got a whole bunch of fun behind the scenes uh, stuff. Uh, this is, I know well, this is in both of our letterbox top. Yeah. Uh, tell them about your methods for quote unquote watching both commentary tracks. Cause this is a, <laughs> this sounds like a, a sensory nightmare. So I'm insane. So my idea was I was going to turn on the Tarsum Singh, who was the director of this movie's uh, commentary track. And the other commentary track had the main actor Lee Pace and two of the writers so I put theirs as subtitles and wrote like a madhound and wrote everything wrote I could. Like a really. madhound. Wrote like a madhound. I've never heard that. I've never heard the word madhound before. Is that not a thing? No, it's like a madman <laughs> or madhouse, but I've never heard madhound. Well, I'm creating it today. That sounds like a hot dog joint I want to eat at. Like. I think I say also like three times the uh, three times the charm or something. Or yeah, no, third, third times. times. No, I say third times the choice or third times the chance or something. Okay. I got, I got some weird things I've made up over the years. You got some malapropisms. It's all right. So yes, the the fall I know is in both of our letterbox top four. It's been a favorite of mine since I first saw it, like fifteen years ago at least, probably. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, I, you know this, but this is a fun story of how I came across this movie. I was on eBay and I bought David Lynch's Inland Empire, uh, which was at the time, the only way you could buy it was this DVD, but now they're making a criterion of it, which I'll have to pick up. But yes, so I bought this and I get something in the mail and I'm like, what the hell is this? This is called The Fall. It's not called Inland Empire. (laughs) Uh, I did like what the cover looked like. So I sent it to Brad and I was like, I think I got the wrong thing. And Brad like freaked. I was like, oh my God, that's such a good movie. And I was like, okay. So then I watched it that night and just absolutely fell in love with it. And it was amazing. But before I watched it, I wrote to this eBay 
uh, guy and was like, hey, I think I got the wrong thing. And he wrote me back in like an hour and was like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. Keep that movie for completely free and I'll send you Inland Empire. No uh, extra charge. So now I have both films. Nice. Well, I'll tell you how I first found this. It was... It was 2010, and I had gone to the State Theater in State College. I was going to see Duncan Jones's movie Moon. Oh, okay. And beforehand, there was a trailer for The Fall. And I'm like, actually, this might have been 2009. Not particularly important, but it was the craziest fucking thing I've seen. Like, just to give you a little bit of, like, stuff you'll anticipate, uh, us talking about one Charles Darwin is a character. Uh, two, this movie is relentlessly beautiful. You're going to see some of the craziest imagery, most of which is all real places. I was just entranced, and it was coming to the campus theater. But one of the one of the great film regrets of my life is that I did not get to see this on a big screen. I would kill to see it on a big screen, but it always stuck with me because how could it not? So when it came to DVD, I snatched it up, watched it, and loved it. And I watched this on a very small CRT television and was still <laughs> just blown away. In fact, one of the crimes of the world is this movie's not currently in print. There you go. Yeah, I was going to say that I think that's the only way you can watch it is this DVD we have. It, you can find secondhand copies, but you're going to be paying at least $30, if not more. And that's a fucking, like, you can't even get it digitally. And that's a fucking crime. I want a 4K remaster. Now that I have a bigger TV and watching the DVD, like, it still looks absolutely amazing, but it's a little grainy. I want want the crispness. I want that, uh, I want a 4K remaster of this. Yeah, I wonder, I mean, I know why it doesn't have it is because I didn't even look into, I don't think I could find anything about like how much it made. Oh, I did find how much it made. It was a complete box office failure because yes. of course it was. Yeah, I'm sure Criterion hasn't done some, I hope they would or something. But Criterion or Arrow or somebody yeah. like the critics didn't help this movie out a lot either. Ebert gave it four stars out of four. Yeah, yep. I don't know. I guess people find this movie boring somehow. A lot of people, and I agree in some parts, but not in much parts, if that makes sense, is they say it's a movie of style over substance, which I don't agree with. But they say the movie is absolutely, it, it is, in my opinion, the most beautiful film ever made. I haven't seen yeah. that much stuff, but just we'll talk about how it was made. I think it is the most beautiful movie I've seen. Um, and yes, there are going to be some parts where it's like, if you have a movie this beautiful, is the plot ever going to hold up? to this and everything and i think it does but i can also see how someone can watch this movie and be like yeah the beauty it was a beautiful imagery but the plot didn't grab me i mean i i enjoy the plot there's not a lot of it no but it it still worked for me like i don't understand the saying style over substance because like okay if like that's part of the price of admission. Like if you're paying, like if you're watching a movie, you're investing time, possibly money. So just, just the fucking eye candy of this movie should be enough to keep you going. And like, it's not just like gorgeous architecture. It's beautifully composed imagery outside of that. And using that as a backdrop, like the natural landscapes, I, I, the style is so 
rewarding that I don't understand how that does not become like a sort of substance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. Sam. Also, what the fuck is Fantasia? People love that movie. Isn't that all style over substance? Like, there's no, it's just fucking. Oh, the Disney Fantasia? Dumbass cartoons dancing to classical music. Yeah. Yeah, Tur- Turbinorg and Up on the Bald Mountain. I-, I love Fantasia, but yeah, no, I mean, that is definitely style over substance. But people like Harold that as fucking classic and Bald <laughs> are like, early pace. Which I, I wanted to say before, when you mentioned that Lee Pace was a part of this production, a shiver probably went up the spine of at least one of the zero people that listened to this. Yeah, right. People is, love... I love Lee Pace, but I didn't know how many... Every time I... So I went on Letterboxd to look at reviews of this, and I was like, oh my god, Lee Pace is so hot. Oh my god, Lee Pace. And I was like, yeah, but like, also... There's other parts of this movie. <laughs> no, but I get it. Like, that's probably how a lot of people are coming to this movie. Like, uh, the people, they like their Lee Pace. I like Lee Pace. So, like, they're like, what else has Lee Pace been in? The fall, especially if, like, you're on something like Letterbox, where you can see a thumbnail of the poster. Mm-hmm. And, like, what is that? That looks wild. I'm going to check it out. Lee Pace is the only thing keeping people still coming interested. In yeah. All right, you ready to get into it? Well, uh, I guess we already did recommendations. We both love this yes. movie. Uh, absolutely worth seeing if you can find it. Uh, yeah, let's get into some of the background. All right, do you want to go first? Well, uh, one of the things that always fascinated me about this movie is that it was Tarsum Singh, who was mm-hmm. had, who had previously done The Cell and yes. went on to do The Immortals, and then the Disney movie Mirror Mirror, and then a movie I never even knew came out called Selfless. Yeah, and uh, he he started in commercials, and now he's back commercials and music videos, like a lot of people did, including David Fincher and Spike Jones, who were producers on this film. You know what I uh, like about you, Brad? What you come with your own transitions. So, and now he's back to doing commercials, which. I I just want the man to make a living. I'd love for him to make another thing like The Fall, but that doesn't seem likely because he financed this all himself, as far as I yeah. understand. Yes, mostly, yeah. Mostly. Uh, but a lot of the money he made doing commercials and music videos, he saved up because he wanted to tell this story and he knew that absolutely no one would finance it. Like, no big studio would ever finance this. And if they did, they'd get their fingers in it, and it would be different. And I, like, it would ruin his insane, insane movie, uh, which was filmed in over 22 different countries. And it's also a deeply personal movie to Tarsum. Tarsum Singh, he's credited as Tarsum and at least the opening credits. I don't know about the closing credits. And And the only reason... Okay, but the only reason he did that was because of, like, the shot composition in the credits. He didn't want uh, his surname to throw off the balance, which is what he said. Maybe if the fall had been bigger, he would have just kept going by Tarsum. Like, if he had become super famous, I think he might have just kept going by Tarsum. But it was it was inspired by a breakup of his, right? Mm-hmm. And that's about where my background info, for at least the creation of it 
a little bit of the pre-production comes from. Yeah, you cover a good amount of what I have, but I have a little bit more. Um, so you, as you said, David Fincher and Spike Jones are credited as presenting the film. They That's right, not producing, presenting. Yes, they had absolutely nothing to do with the production. They literally just like, yeah, we'll sign our names off of it, which was fun. I mean, they were all kind of friends and stuff. That's cool. Definitely. Uh, yeah, so it, de- it debuted at the 2006 Toronto International... It debuted at the 2006 Toronto International Film Festival, uh, but it was not released theatrically until 2008. As you said, it took 17 years for him to make, uh, which he was talking about. Now, that included all of the scouting of the locations and everything, so production, I think, took four years. But for him to actually find all the places he wanted to shoot, make get the money and everything... Um, how Tarsum would be, he would basically go into meetings and have this little box. Uh, Katinka, the actress who plays Alexandria, also holds a box of her memories. And this is supposed to be, Tarsum also had this. And this was a box he would bring into uh, meetings to like talk about the film. And he would show these things as this is how he presented the film. He's like, these are the special things to me about this film and everything. Uh, which I thought was a little cute thing. That is cute. It's based off the screenplay of a Bulgarian film called Yo Ho Ho. Um, I did hear this, and I've been trying to track down this film like ever since, and it just seems to like not exist. Yeah, I would say if it's this hard to find the fall, it's almost impossible to find Yo Ho Ho. And also, there's there's probably little chance there's any sort of English subtitling if you can't even fucking find. Because I've gone to like bootleg people and i've been like hey can you find me this and they're like i well i don't even know if they ever tried but i never heard back from them uh but yeah so yeah that was a 1980s bulgarian film and from what i know uh, most of that is where the sto- the fantasy elements came from gotcha from the hospital was Tarsum's own, but basically Yo Ho Ho, from what I've heard from the commentary tracks, was about these four or five men going off to uh, get revenge, which is what we'll talk about with the fantasy. Darwin was not a character; he was just called the naturalist. Uh, there was an explosive; they were all named different things. Tarsum did say in his commentary track that he watched Yo Ho Ho again, and he's like he hadn't watched it in like eight years, and he was like, "God, my movie's completely different than this." So. Um, yeah, but it's definitely something I would want to see. I want to clarify something because now I'm looking like, because every time I'm like, oh, this movie's impossible to find. It's because I last looked for it in like 2010, but I'm seeing at least evidence that this movie existed. Uh, someone on Reddit said they downloaded the film on worldcinema.org, but I can't find English subtitles. So Brad, we get to learn Bulgarian. Really bad with languages, especially ones that I have no reason to learn aside from to see one movie. I don't know much about Bar- Bulgarian cinema. And I think there's a reason for that. Not that the Bulgars don't make good movies. I'm sure they're great, but I haven't seen any. What about our audience comprised of Bulgarians? Our audience is comprised solely of Bulgarians. And I'm doing like, uh, I- I'm really, I'll cut this out, obviously. But to explain to you, like I have to rile them up. And then they get yeah. angry. And then they tell they they tell their friends like, "Hey, this guy's making me angry." That's how we get more people listening to our podcast, and that's a reference to Pontypool. This also had a budget of thirty million. Uh, it only made three point seven million. Um, as you said, it was largely financed solely by uh, Tarsum. This is one of my favorite details, and why another reason why I love the production behind this film. Tarsum paid all of the cast and the crew equally in something he called his communist paying went on the thing. So everything yeah. that, so 
when he uh, said it to Lee Pace, he was like, you're going to make the exact same amount of money as the guy behind the camera and everything, because that's how he wanted everyone to be paid equally and everything. That's dope. That's dope as fuck. Yeah. Also, super dope on Lee Pace. Grant, he wasn't Lee Pace, Lee Pace, international heartthrob at this point. But he was still like, hey, I'm Lee Pace, future international heartthrob, and I will make the same as the best boy, even though I'm seven feet taller than him. Yeah, I think this is like his third or fourth film. Uh, He had just done Soldier's Boy. Uh, which I have yet to see. But also just from Tarsum's commentary track, I can't speak on the guy because I've never met him before, but he just seems like such a nice guy. Okay, then um, yeah, we'll talk about that. Okay, that's basically all I have for background info for now, and then I'll have stuff later. Okay. Right, you ready to get into it? Sure. And I want to talk about this first shot. Like, we begin yeah. in black and white. We see still water, and then Lee Pace, Lee Pace's head breaks the water, and as like droplets spray from his mouth, the co- the score begins, and so, sort of this like a little bit of a wail, like a ah. and we get this fucking immaculate, gorgeous black and white scene of this chaos on a film set. Yeah, yeah, it's absolutely gorgeous. I kept feeling like Indiana Jones watching this movie and wanting to shout, "It belongs in a museum." <laughs> I mean, every shot in this, I would agree with that, but yeah. We see a horse in the water. We see people swimming in like sort of a subtle slow-mo. It's not super slow. There's just sort of like a dream-like slowness to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're introduced to characters that will come up to be very important later. Yes. And it's not like the like a lesser movie, I think, would you would show them in this huge thing and be like, this is important and everything. It's not. They just swipe past them, and then you're in your head like, oh, that's who... And you have to connect yep. all this in your head. There's a lot of that in this movie. Uh, one of my favorite details I learned about this scene, uh, and we'll talk about it later when we get into the story, is there's a Native American in this scene Uh, standing there and that's all i'm gonna say for now and then i'll come back up later okay the opening and this is also the opening credits and it ends with the horse being manually hoisted from the water and we get this great image of this dead horse suspended in the air halfway Mm -hmm. between the railroad bridge and the water where lee pace and another a few other men are watching this uh, then we get a flashcard that says it's Los Angeles, uh, once upon a time. Um, I think we can refer from like the stuff that happens is the 1920s or 1910s, yeah. early 19th century. I love the once upon a time though, cause it's such a film about childlike wonder and everything. Oh yeah. And it's a, a movie about telling a story. Yes. Uh, so uh-huh. the movie now turns to color, uh, was black and white for that, uh, that segment. Now it's into color. I like to imagine this as a companion piece to Babylon now. Like, this is in the same <laughs> universe as Babylon, where we're at a hospital. Yep. Yeah, we uh, we go to an old-timey hospital. Um, it was an active hospital, hospital while they shot. It's in South Africa? Yes, yep, it's South Africa. And we see a young girl um, holding South a South Africa. You have to say it right. South Africa. That's how they talk down there. Those fucking <laughs> hey. apartheid shitheads. South Africa. That's where Elon Musk is from. They have all this fucking blood diamond money. Uh, We see a young girl holding a box surrounded by other sick kids. And we see that her name is Alexandria. And Alexandria is played by 
Now, I think when the commentary track happened, she was 10. So I think she was about five years old when this was shot. That's how old the character is as well. And her name is? Uh, Katinka Unitaru. And she is... I love watching this. I love watching this kid. She's great. I I have the way they got her performance. They basically lied to her and said like, "All this is real." Lee Pace, we're going to find out who plays Roy, is uh, laid up in bed, paralyzed from the waist down. She thought he was actually paralyzed, and basically they're like stuff like that. Yes, in some, so about Lee Pace, yes, but there were times when uh, Tarsum would basically stop and just say, it's all a movie, don't worry, and everything. We'll get into scenes when Lee Pace yells. Tarsum said something that if anyone yells in this movie, you didn't have Katinka for three days. Because for the next three days, it was Lee Pace and uh, Tarsum basically coming up to her, having picnics and everything, and saying, it's Aww. all okay, movie yeah it, it does suck that they lied to her but they treated her the the best that i think an actress could be treated as a kid well that's great and you also told me before we started rolling that the entire crew and rest of the cast yes. well some of that cast had to know because they were in scenes with him in the story well, the fantasy scenes were shot after so all of the hospital scenes were shot at once over six months and the reason why that was for, or maybe it was maybe it was six weeks, but that was for is because Katinka was growing because she was only five years old. And yes. that's why her come in at the end and she's growing in her height. And Tars was basically like, I want this actress. She's the reason I'm making this movie. I need to shoot now. So they shot all of that. And then they shot all the fantasy scenes after. Um, the crew in the script, it was said that the blue bandit, um, we're getting to Alexandria's father, actually played the black bandit. Tarsum had to come up to that actor and say, your part is a lot smaller than you thought it was because he did not want anyone knowing Lee Pace played the bandit until it's revealed. And it was a lot of trickery. Yeah, it sounds like it. And I, I don't know how much I like that. Uh, Granted, yeah. I love Kentinka's performance. Alexandria is adorable and heartbreaking in her turns. She She's Romanian. And yep. she speaks English, but it is, it's also baby gibberish. It's also like, she's a little baby. She took English lessons when she was four uh, because she wanted to be a theater actress. Oh, and I don't think she's going on to do anything, which, uh, good for her. Follow your bliss, kid. Mm-hmm. Tarsum talks about at the end that Katinka's mom reached out and she's like, yeah, we've tried to see if she wants to do anything else, but there's never been any set that's been like the fall was and everything. And he was like, I'm sorry, but there's never gonna be a set that's like the fall. (laughs) Um, Very true. To make uh, Katinka's performance even more lovable. That's just her. There's almost, she's acting, but basically most of her, um, what, one of the things he said is he's like, yeah, the child's going to write half the script. And they were like, you're insane. And he's like, no, whatever she says, if I like it, I'm just keeping it. Like he had a script, but she would basically just, and I'll see if there's a couple times I remember, but she would just go just talk and Lee Pace would just, he would be able to go right there with her and everything. And they'd oh be able man. To Lee it's- Pace, uh, member of the Upright Citizens Brigade theater classes. But yeah, most of Katinka's performance is just her. And there's a lot of things that is, um, that she just makes up. Like, uh, I think they said half of all of Alexandra's dialogue was just made up by Katinka. Wow. She's, she's fantastic. Yeah. She is amazing. 
Uh, the two best child actors I ever se- have ever seen in a movie, uh, Kintinka in this and Pierce Gagnon in uh, Looper. Oh, I haven't seen Looper yet. Looper's good. Looper's good. And the boy who plays the little kid is great. I I would say Katinka's my now favorite child actress. But before that, I don't know if this counts as a child actress, but I think she was 10, um, is Ivana Barcaro uh, in uh, Pan's Labyrinth. Okay. That's a great one. I don't know how old she was. I think she was like 10 or 11, but she's fantastic in that too. All right, and then so Alexandria calls to Nurse Evelyn, throws her a message that she does not receive. Evelyn is played by Justine Waddell. I didn't find really anything interesting. Uh, she plays Tess in a production of Tess of the Dubervilles. Oh, cool. Yeah, a lot of the actors in this, aside from Lee Pace, have not gone on to do much. Definitely. I did find some fun stuff um, later on for our for our, our men, but uh, but yeah, not nothing much for some people. And then Alexandra's walking around and she sees a creepy man wearing radiation gear, uh, which I think we can assume is an x-ray technician of yes. the time. And then it just basically the camera's following her around this hospital. She And we see many uh, in people in this that are going to become important later. There's a man delivering oranges. And finally, she looks into a window and she sees a paraplegic man holding her note that was meant for Nurse Evelyn. And as you said, this is Lee Pace as Roy Walker. Mm-hmm. Mm, known um, for his salsa. His salsa? I don't know that. Oh, Pace. Pace salsa, yeah. That's a good one. That's a 10. He's, uh, he's heir to that. That's See, he's not necessarily a Nepo baby, but his parents had the money. They had that mm-hmm. salsa money to like just yeah. let him bum around trying to get famous. It's hard for a nine-foot-tall man to make it in Hollywood. <laughs> Is he that tall? No. Oh, no, I know he's, he's not. Very nice, t- he's he like a tall guy. I didn't even know. Yeah, he he's a tall man. He's a tall I man. I just imagine Lee Pace growing up and all his family around him was like, no, you're going to be a tycoon of a salsa empire. He's like, no, I want to be an actor. <laughs> um, any favorite Lee Pace roles that you know of? The only other thing I've really, he's 6'5". Jesus, I didn't know that. Yeah, he's a monster. People yeah. chase after him with torches and pitchforks. <laughs> and then he turns around and gives them the razzle-dazzle, and they're like, oh, it's just international heartthrob Lee Pace. He'd be a good Frankenstein. Sure. Good idea. But the only other thing I've really... I, whenever I see him, I'm not disappointed. It was fun in Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. But Pushing Daisies is probably the most remarkable other thing he's done. I need to see that yet, still and everything. I've heard that's really good. I've watched quite... I've watched like at least uh, a season of it. Uh, it's, it's fun. It's fun. It's very cute. Brian Fuller, who would later go on to do Hannibal, uh, created that series. Oh, I love Hannibal. Other two other pretty mainstream roles um, Lee Pace was in. He played Ronan the Accuser in the Marvel Mm -hmm. Cinematic Universe in the Guardians films. And Thrandrul, the Elven King in the Hobbit movies. And the reason why I bring this up is Peter Jackson cast him as Thrandrul only because of his role in The Fall. Awesome. The Fall is one of his favorite films, and he always wanted Lee Pace in in one of the things. Well, maybe Peter Jackson should go back to doing interesting things if he likes movies like The Fall so much. Hey, I love Lord of the Rings. The Hobbit movies are yikes, but I don't even know. I just got done directing Angels in America, a stage reading at Juniata, and uh, Lee Pace played Joe Pitt in the 2018 production of it, too. For some reason, I thought you were going to say Joe Pesci. Joe Pesci? (laughs) 
six five Lee Pace playing a uh, three nine Joe Pesci. Just and you know how Joe Pesci was just such an integral part of the AIDS crisis in America. Of course, he'd, yeah. He'd go around to hospices and like smack them around, be like, "What are you gonna do? Die of AIDS, you schmuck, you motherfucker!" <laughs> Funny how. That's all I know. <laughs> Um, I have a little fun uh, tidbit about Lee Pace and Tarsum. So Tarsum, when he was casting The Fall, only wanted Lee Pace for the part. He saw Soldier's Girl, which was the first film Lee Pace had ever done, which I don't know if you've heard of. Yeah, but he plays a woman in the entire um, uh, the movie and everything. And Tarsum saw it, and he's like, I only want Lee Pace. And he was like, um, he's like, everyone tells you never to go after one actor. You know, have your things old. me. he's like, I only wanted this guy. So he met with Lee Pace. Well, they basically said, you're going to be handicapped, you're going to be depressed for about 12 weeks, and you're going to make only amount of money as, like, the camera guy. All right, and then, <laughs> so after that, Alexandria um, comes into Roy's room, and it's interesting that she stays by the door and stays away from him in this entire scene. Yeah. And Katinka was, because she was five years old, was scared of paraplegics, and that's why she stayed so far away from Roy, and they actually had to, Tarsum had to ask her to come near him and everything, and she didn't want to. And, they, and he had to shoot it from that scene. She was supposed to be right next to him and everything. I can see it. I can see it. And it, like, her performance is so natural because it is natural. It's just her being a little girl. And this was the first time uh, Lee Pace and Katinka ever met was this scene because, as you said, it was all hushy-hushy about if he was actually paraplegic or not. Um, and, yeah, this was the first time they ever met in this that, that's it and everything they never met before or anything which is interesting all right and then so alexandria's talking to him and she says that she broke her arm uh i forgot to mention that her arm is in a cast yes um, and, she- and it has one of those weird connecting rods that keep it like elevated which just adds like i don't know if that's how they always did cast for a while or whatever uh mm-hmm. i don't know if they still do it but it just gives this added little awkwardness where she like she literally can't move her arm Oh yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised if like she literally couldn't move her arm when they when they had that in there and everything. Oh, you know what it probably is because she's so little, she probably couldn't support the weight of the plaster, so they uh, made a little joint to hold it up for her. Yeah. Oh, that's nice. So yeah, Alexandria says that she fell while picking oranges and broke her arm. Yes, it, she's a migrant worker. Roy also says that he fell, but he does not say how he fell yet. I want to point out two things I love in this. One, at some point, Kintinka tries to sit, but there's no... She's just leaning against the wall, and she tries to sit, but there's nothing for her to sit on, so she just sort of slouches down the wall a little bit, and it's just so cute. It's so cute. And also, the note that Roy intercepts accidentally is about how uh, Alexandria throws oranges at the priest... Yes. And that she loves Nurse Evelyn. And this is like a religious hospital, like a Catholic hospital or something. We we see priests, uh, presumably, because Roy says the nurses are nuns, the nurses are nuns, which is going to make something very saucy later. But yeah, it's about throwing oranges at priests. And <laughs> that's my favorite running joke of the movie. One of my favorite lines that I wrote down, we'll talk about later. It, uh, consider, I think it's the same one. I think it's the one we're thinking of. Oh, and he says that the note is in gibberish, and Alexandria says, It's not gibberish, it's English. 
Yeah, so Roy uh, basically uh, tells her all about Alexander the Great, and we flash to actual foot well, not actual footage, but we flash to a desert, which we have someone showing Alexander the Great, which resembles the doctor who was talking to Lee Pace earlier. Something I think we should bring up now is most of these characters that are in the fantasy uh, will resemble real characters that we meet in the hospital and everything. Yes. One of the fun things I've found with the commentary track is even though Roy's telling this story, this is not Roy's story. This no. is Alexandria's story. Yes. She inserts whatever the hell she wants in. She pictures people as the people she encounters that she knows. She knows the doctor. So the doctor is Alexander the Great. Yeah, we'll, we'll get into some examples over and over again. But to, to begin with that, when we first see Alexander, he's in, I believe it's called Hadrian's Villa. Everything we're going to see is actual places that exist in the yeah. world, that most of which you can visit. And that's that's Alexandria picturing where this king would be, because she asks, why does he not take his horses out of the buildings? And, and Roy's just like, what? What yeah. are you talking about? No, they're not in buildings. They're in a desert, and this horse is dead. But then she comes over to Roy, and um, then she starts talking about her box and how she has things that she likes in her box. People burn her house down. Yes. Bade people. Uh, oh, yeah. And then I love how it shifts from Alexander the Great's story and Roy's story. I mean, that happens way more with the other story, but I love how they blend those two stories together. Yes. Uh, I think a lot of times when movies try to do a story inside a story, it gets really jumbled and it doesn't flow very well. This is perfect. Like I love this so much. But the Alexander story is that Alexander the Great and some of his men are lost in the desert. They have no water. They're about to die. And a messenger comes to him with uh, a message that he reads off paper that looks exactly like Alexandria's. It has sort of like little cuts in it, little pieces cut out. And it says, there is no water. This, this helmet full that I give you is the last water we have. And Alexander, this is a classic story. Oh, uh, pours it out. Pours it out because... And, uh, Alexandria and the soldier both ask, why? <laughs> and Roy is like, Roy is trying to de describe it like, no, no, it's, it's a quality. Like if he can't have any, uh, then no one should have any. And in a line, I, I don't quote a lot of movies, mm -hmm. but anytime I have to say the words a little bit, I go, uh, she, she says that Alexander, should have given each soldier just a little beat. Just a little beat. Uh, that's all Katinka. Yep. No, just that, a little beat. That's not like that's not Tarsum. Like he, she made all that up on set and everything. That's great. Uh, because he was telling her this story, and she was like, "That's stupid." That's the thing she says. She's like, "That's stupid." And she's like, "What if they just gave her a little bit?" And then the whole cast and crew was like, "Yes, we got it!" And everything. Uh, it's so cute. A thing here. There's going to be so many scenes of absolute beauty. This for me is the first one in the in the movie. They shot in the Namibian desert, mm. uh, uh, and it's absolutely gorgeous. Here's a fun tidbit. All of the soldiers were real people uh, from Namibia that they had the night before they got pissed drunk and showed up completely drunk. And Tarsum was just like, well, they were confused anyway, so we'll just let them be drunk. <laughs> I mean, and I didn't notice them. 
Yeah, all these people are shit faced, drunk, and everything, or hungover, I guess, because it's the morning. But yeah, I thought that was that was fun. Uh, so, like you said, uh, that they should have just given it a little bit. Um, and Roy tells her to come back tomorrow, and that he will tell her an epic that is set in India. Uh, after he says this, we see two characters that are uh, going to become important. These are two people that live in the same room as Roy. One of these characters takes his pills and puts it down and kind of hides them in his chest thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, this guy's name is Walt. He's, Walt. Played by, he's played by an actor named Sean Gilder, uh, who's a quite popular actor. He actually has 84 credits to his name. Wow. Yeah, a lot of good, a lot of uh, big things. The couple I wrote down was he played Marshall Franklin Osto in Penny Dreadful. Okay. Sure, have, you seen, have you seen Penny Dreadful? I have not. Okay, I really like Penny Dreadful. Um, he played Patty McGuire in Shameless, the the British one before the American remake, mm-hmm. uh, which is a pretty big role. He had fifty four episodes in that. And for Billy, because he's not here, he played Sycorax leader in Doctor Who. Oh, fun. They mentioned that and everything. And we see another older man who plays with uh, his dentures and he takes out his teeth and puts them into an orange. And I do not remember his name. I don't think we get a name for him. I don't believe we do. Old man. I thought it was fun. My grandpa used to do that when we were kids. He would take his dentures out and put them in fruit and stuff. Yeah. So that that helped bring back that memory and everything. I mean, if you're going to have dentures, you might as well play with them. You might as well. Absolutely. And anything else you have for that, or nope? I all except now I'm just picturing like if we ever go to war with the oldies, like if we gotta like kill them old people, I'm, I'm definitely like uh, making like a string of dentures. I'm gonna <laughs> like that's gonna be my trophies. I don't know whether I, I'm gonna take both tops and bottoms or just one or the other because I don't want to like misrepresent how many old people I've killed. I don't want to like be like, oh, he killed fifty old people. No, I only killed twenty five. I just took both. Like. I don't, so that's an ethical quandary that I'll have to deal with when we just start wholesale slaughtering old people. All right. And then, so Alexandria, she just kind of walks around the hospital some more and finds Nurse Evelyn and lays with her. Yeah, it's um, very cute. And her, her doctor fuck buddy comes by and is like, hey, I want to fuck. And she's like, give me five minutes to coddle this child. Also, I'm supposed to be a nun and my pussy should be off limits. <laughs> Uh, then we uh, flash to the next morning. Uh, we see Alexandria walking around, and she starts licking the ice. Yeah, like a gross little child, just like yep. really just getting that tongue tongue slug all over communal ice. And she's told to go away from the ice by the ice delivery man, or she will get sick. And then she overhears a conversation. Uh, between Roy and another stuntman actor that he used to work with. This guy's named as the one-legged actor. Yes. And we hear basically tidbits. And I love this because it doesn't just give us an exposition dump, but it instead gives us bits because that's what a child would hear. They only hear small things that we have to fill it in. Uh, But basically what we hear is we hear that a horse died. Uh, Roy jumped off a bridge, which we see in the first scene of the movie. And then we get some little more backstory that he may have been trying to impress someone but Sinclair, who was the act, the actual actor for the movie, not the stuntman, uh, had already done a better job and already wooed her. Which we see in the opening. They're in a car uh, together when Roy's accident happens. And then Alexandria goes and sits and she sees a priest teaching another older man who brings her an orange because she was throwing oranges at the priest again. Mm-hmm. And she says, uh, it was not me. 
And then Roy is told uh, that the studio is trying to give him money to pay him off. I guess pay him off? Is that what I guess. Did, I, I guess it could be something that they were just trying to give him money because they felt bad that he got hurt, but it, it felt like to me... They were trying that's to how Hollywood him. works. No, that's true. But trying to keep like a lawsuit from happening. The stuntman says that uh, no woman is worth suicide, which will become important later. Mm-hmm. And then Alexandria walks over to Roy and asks if his friend was a pirate. And she says that he was a... And Roy says that he was a stuntman. But he hurt himself in his first picture. Yes. Which we find out Roy's... Uh, the, the film from before was his debut. That was his first ever stunt. It doesn't oh, really make... was it? The, the, from the opening, that was his first stunt? Yeah, he says that was his first picture. I never picked up on that. Yeah, it doesn't really make you want to go out and do it again, huh? <laughs> I mean, that makes his character so much more tragic. Is like... Oh, it's awful. This yeah. is my job, and this is the... First time I get to do it, and oh god, I can never do it again. Uh, one of the most fascinating things to me about the commentary track is when Tarsum says that he wanted Roy to not be this actor that's been working for before, and he instead envisions Roy as just someone who was on set and like either maybe worker or something. And they just said ten dollars for whoever wants to jump off a horse and everything, and Roy just raised his hand. And he might not ever even been a stuntman, actually. He might have just been a guy who wanted some money to do a dumb stunt. That's amazing. Which makes That's amazing. Song. Alexandria comes for her tail. So Roy starts off the tail. So then Alexandria asks for the tail. And we're swept away into the story. Uh, so we see four men. They're all waiting on an island in the sea. Indian with bandaged thigh swims to them out of the water and onto the land. We also see a man with a yellow coat and a red hat, uh, who we later ne- learn is Luigi, who resembles the one-legged man, the one-legged actor from before. Yes, it is the one-legged actor from before. It's the same yeah. actor playing both roles. Yeah. The Indian yeah. is the Indian she works with on the orange farm in the picture that she showed Roy. Then we hear that Governor Odious will execute another man's twin in the next morning. We don't learn who that man is yet. And uh, we learned that there were five of them, and they all hated Governor Odious, which is the yes. only thing them in uh, common. Then we get into their backstories. So the first we get is an ex-slave named Altabenga, who had to work in the fields of Odious with his brother. Uh, now, this is the ice delivery man from before. So Altabenga is working in the field, and his brother dies from overworking. He, like, falls down. I guess, like, having maybe a heart attack or something. Something like that. Heat stroke, whatever. Autobenga gives a cry of rage and frees the slaves and lights fire to the fields and swears vengeance on Governor Odious. Now, did you know that Otabenga is a real person? I did. I was just going to mention that. He was, uh, oh God, I don't know what the correct term is anymore. The slave we see, Otabenga, in the movie is a big, strong man. Muscular uh, man, yeah. The historical Otabenga was small and was... Yep. A slave literally bought to be in a human zoo. Yep, absolutely. Uh, yeah, he was exhibited at the World's Fair, um, and he was put in a cage, like you said, at the Bronx Zoo with a monkey, and they basically gave him a bow, and that was supposed to make fun of evolution, that we came from monkeys and everything. Here's mm-hmm. a really amazing fun fact I learned about Otabenga, is they gave him this bow, so what he did is, well, he would shoot people who would come to look at him, and they had to shut it down because, like, these people would come to gawk at him, and he'd be like, just start shooting them. And yes, thank God, 
Yeah, like, thank God they shut it down. But I'm also wondering why they thought it wasn't like we can't take away the bow. The bow makes the whole thing work. Like if we can't do the bow, he did commit suicide after World War One, though. Yes, yeah, so he tried to return to Africa and he could not. And yeah. I find it interesting that Tarsum, he says that Alexandria basically envisions Autobanga as this huge muscular man because he's almost like a god to her and everything. Yeah. That's what like, he also wears a two horned hat. And it could very well be because Otabenga in the movie uses a bow and arrow. I only just yeah. now connected those two. Uh, I, yeah, I didn't figure those out either. Yeah. And Tarsum, Tarsum has said that like, Roy is being influenced by the news of the time, like fantastical things he knows about. We're going to see that much more explicitly in a character coming up. But yes. So I'm sure Roy knew about Otabenga, the slave in the human zoo. And so he's probably imagining Otabenga as a very small person. Yes, yeah. And the I've, I feel like a lot of people say the protagonist of this film is Roy, and I understand why that is, but I completely think it's Alexandria. Yeah. I mean, she is who we're seeing this whole movie through and everything. Okay, then the next person we have is the Indian who would always stroke his brow when he was anxious. I love this little character note and everything. Yes, and I love how it comes back at the end. And he is, a, he is like you said, the orange picker. I, I think, yeah, you mentioned that. Yeah, he was the orange picker from before. This is my first favorite part. First favorite part of Disparity, which I don't think I picked up on until I listened to the commentary for the first time. Tarsum points out that, like, Okay, clearly Roy means for this to be a Native American because he, he's going to use the word squaw. He's going to use the word wigwam. And, but all Alexandria knows is her Indian friend she works with who is from the country of India. So yeah. she's imagining all of that. Like she's imagining him like as an Eastern Indian. In the beginning of the movie, I mentioned there was a Native American. That is who the Indian Roy is talking about is, is the Native American from before but he just says Indian, and like you said, she only knows India as the place, and she's never been to America. Uh, or no, I guess they're in Los Angeles, so yeah. But yeah. Uh, she's probably never seen an actual Native American before. She's only knows of the Indians. The Indian was married to the most beautiful woman in the world, um, who no one could ever see. She would hide. Uh, I guess she would hide in like her room or something, and she would wear this like squat, like this. Uh, I don't know what you call it, but like veil a over. Veil. So Governor Odious uh, dresses up as a leper to be able to see her. And after he's able to see her, he abducts her after he sees how beautiful she is. Okay, here's where I have a problem. Why was a leper allowed to see the Indian's wife? I don't know. I, I didn't even pick up on the leper thing this watch. I don't know. Uh, yeah. Because he has too much eye leprosy, like his eyes rotted out. It could be. Yeah, I guess it'd be that. Or maybe it's just. Oh, I don't think it's that. I was joking. Oh no. <laughs> uh, maybe maybe she was just a generous person and was a charitable person or something. But um, hey, leper, get a look at my titties before you die. So the Indian's wife did not let Odia see her, so he decides to throw her into a labyrinth of despair. The labyrinth of despair is the first architectural marvel we see. Like the Hadrian's Villa thing, we get a glimpse at earlier is absolutely stunning, but this is a an observatory in India. That is basically a bunch of stairs. Mm -hmm. And it's so cool. And it doesn't look like a labyrinth at all. Tarsum said he had to shoot it specifically that way to make it look like that. But oh. yeah, but I still want to visit. I want to visit every place in this, but I want to visit 
the labyrinth and a place at the end, most of all. Yeah, that is something I think we should do. We should take this uh, this little show on the road and uh, do a, the fall tour. Uh, <laughs> Mostly around India, where uh, so much of our audience is based. Of course, yeah. Well, we have to get to Bulgaria and say hi to all our fans and everything. Yes. Well, they're going to try to kill us, but... <laughs> yeah. And basically, she finally chooses that she's never going to be able to get out of the labyrinth so she commits suicide. Which I love this shot of it's all the staircase that you were talking about with all this red. Because she's been running for so long that her feet are just bleeding. And it, you just see the blood footprints come up and she jumps off mm-hmm. the uh, the staircase. And now that now that I'm thinking about it, this is really the first uh, sort of metaphor for Roy's depression that sinks into the story because depression can feel like a labyrinth of despair. Like Absolutely. just not knowing how to navigate it and ultimately choosing to kill yourself rather than try to navigate it. Which we're going to find out is Roy's problem. Like he is in despair and he sees no other choice other than suicide. Yeah, I mean, this is absolutely like an adventure movie with the fantasy, and it's it's a huge love story as well between Alexandria and Roy. Um, but we should clarify I, that because, uh, well, like, love, like a relationship, like a love, yeah, friends and everything. Yeah, yes, it's not I just wanted to clarify that. <laughs> not a pedophile movie. But uh, I don't think I ever really picked up on it. But when you said that, it does a really good job at deconstructing depression and showing that in a, a truthful light and everything and stuff um, from two people that have suffered with depression a lot and everything. I think it does a yeah. really good job. Doing that. And a lot of movies I don't think do. I think it shows it more as a caric- uh, caricature than it actually Yes, is. I agree. So then the Indian takes a blood oath uh, to never take a look at a woman or as Roy says, a squaw again. The next we have my favorite is Luigi. Luigi. Uh, I don't know why he's my favorite, but whenever I watch this movie originally, this actor just did it for me. And I just, I loved him so much. (laughs) He's great. He's fantastic. I wish we got a little bit more of him, but he's, and he's clearly having a lot of fun. Oh my god, yeah. Luigi is an explosive expert. Uh, he is the one-legged actor from before. This is when, I love these backgrounds, this is when it went a little like, okay, we have the revenge. Uh, the two revenge before definitely made sense. This one feels like it was hamming it in a little bit. I forget what re- reason Odious banished. So, Luigi, Luigi creates really powerful new bombs. Yes. Which scares Odious, and he basically... I don't know if it scares him, I assume. And he banishes him, saying that if anyone speaks to him, they'd be punished by death. Right. Okay. That's what I thought it was. Yeah, it's not as strong as the other two, but I mean, like, he's still a pariah in his village. I think this was... The, I think this one was used to show the pettiness of Odious. Yeah. And then we get to... I'm assuming this is your favorite, because you've mentioned this one a whole bunch. Yes. I just, yeah, uh, Charles Darwin. It's, it's just Darwin. It's just fucking Charles Darwin. Although a young, a young Charles Darwin, like yeah, not Darwin. old beard Charles Darwin. Uh, and again, like this is an example of like what's big in the news, Darwinism. And uh, the connection with Otabanga and yes. making fun of Darwinism. Like it's huge news. So it's like, uh, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to, and maybe he thinks Alexandria knows who Charles Darwin is. So, <laughs> which obviously she doesn't because she is picturing a young man. 
Yes, he's one yes. of the orderlies who works at the hospital instead yeah. of this the old Charles Darwin we all think of. With the big beard and everything, With yeah. The big beard, the bald head, the giant dick. So, like, uh, and tr- like that's always something I use. Not that people can easily see this movie, but whenever I'm describing it, I like to give it an extra punch. I'm like, Charles Darwin's a character. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he wears this elaborate coat. Yes. Uh, this this It's supposed to resemble a moth, like one of those, like a, a moth or something. But Charles Darwin has a monkey pal he keeps in a bag named Wallace. Wallace. Wallace named after uh, a contemporary of Darwin's who people have accused Darwin of couching ideas from. Yes. I don't even know if it's accusations anymore. I think it's basically like they have figured out that he definitely did. Oh, Um, I think, I think I remember talking about this in sixth grade or something. We learned about Darwin and they mentioned this dude. And then when I got to college and they talked about this guy, it was like, yeah, no, this happened. I was like, okay. Okay. Uh, But this was Alfred Russell Wallace who was on, I believe, the HMS Beagle with him. And like you said, he kind of came up with a whole bunch of things. And Darwin's like, I'm in it. That's mine. Uh, that's mine. Stole it. He stole his papers with his giant elephant trunk-like dick. They So they were looking for something. Um, and Alexandria suggests, what about a butterfly? Mm-hmm. So Roy tells the story to be a butterfly. And Odious sends him a dead one. <laughs> Again, just pettiness. Just petty. And Charles Darwin loves nature so much that he he has to kill Odious for this affront to ecology. Yes. So then we see one of my favorite shots in the entire movie, that they're all standing on a reef, which is a real reef called Butterfly Reef. Yes. The heroes were all banished here by Odious, and there's just this amazing shot of it, they use this drone, and you see the whole reef, and it looks like a butterfly, and it's beautiful. And then the tide comes in, and it swam or swams, and it like drowns out the entire reef except for the middle part, and it like goes under the water, and it's mm-hmm. so gorgeous. This is one of the few bits of digital trickery in the movie. Almost there, everything yeah. we see in the movie is miniatures, real places, practical effects. This is one of the few bits of digital stuff. I thought I thought this might have been digital, and there's one other one later I know that's digital. Uh, yeah, though they tried to make it practical, and it didn't work. I believe I think if we're talking about the same thing, I believe it. Um, Is it near the end? Yes. Yeah. Okay. I think we are. Roy says that they were pirates, but Alexandria doesn't like pirate stories. And I love this exchange, and he's like, "But you said my friend was a pirate." He's like, "Cause he has one leg." Yeah, it's like. You wanted a pirate story. No, I didn't. It's like, yeah, you, you said. It's like, no, you asked You asked if my friend was a, a pirate. It's like, because he only has one leg. Um, and I love that uh, one of the writer or one of the writers in the commentary track said something like, this is just Tarsum. Tarsum hates pirate stories. So he just added this detail in. Weird. Weird. Yeah, I don't know. I like pirates. Pirates are fun. Pirates are fine. I wonder if Tarsum saw Captain Phillips. So yeah, and we see our final hero is the masked bandit, um, who does not know how to swim, and is gap toothed, just like Alexandria. Just like, just like Alexandria, uh, because he and he's played by the man who plays her father. Also, I want to point out that many pirates could not swim. Really? Really. Then we learn that his twin brother, who was the blue bandit, escaped from being imprisoned by Odious, now has been captured again, as we know, and is being put to death. So then we get one of my favorite little bits um, that, like, you have to, like, know history to. Like, we already talked about Darwin and stuff, but Darwin is talking to Wallace, and Wallace comes up with the idea 
to point to an elephant that's over on the coast. And Darwin closes up the bag and says it's all his idea, which yeah. is supposed to show the idea of him stealing from Alfred Russell Wallace. And yes. I just love that little tidbit in there. It's amazing. I didn't know about that when I first saw it. I thought it was just funny that Darwin had a monkey friend. I didn't like, I didn't know about that controversy because I'm much older than you. And I guess it's now much more taught that Darwin was a I thief. Oh, so, yeah. Darwin inspired Michael Jackson's song, Smooth Criminal. And then we see some beautiful underwater imagery um, of them swimming underwater. With the elephant. Um, with the Yes, and then they basically, so they bring out the elephant because the bandit didn't know how to swim. So they bring out the elephant for him. And this was all, I believe, done, actually done. That was a real yes, elephant. elephants can uh, swim. Here's the thing, though, is when elephants swim, they just shit constantly. <sighs> Like the pre- the water pressure on their bodies just makes them shit, so they had to digitally remove this elephant just shitting and shitting. And you know what? I wrote in my notes, uh, forget swimming with dolphins, I want to swim with an elephant, but now that I remember the shit part, I don't know if I do. Like, yeah. it looks really cool in the movie, but if there were, like, just an elephant just spe- like the beginning of Babylon, actually. See? It all comes back. Yeah. I love this. This shot of the elephant swimming is so gorgeous. Like it's, it's hard to explain, like, because I don't think that's a common fact that elephants can swim. So like to see this and to see it actually done, it's, it's this wonderful discordant elegance of this giant creature, just sort of moving very serenely through the water. Yeah. It's absolutely gorgeous. Oh, here's a question I have for you. So Odious banishes them to the Island. What if he had one of these people, what if he didn't know they weren't afraid of swimming? Wouldn't they be able to just swim to the coast and everything? Sure. Because they hold their like, like, it's logical inconsistencies in this. Like, we can point them out and make fun of them. But it's also, I think, part of the charm of the story is, like, you realize, like, because Roy's coming up with this off the top of his dome. Like, That's true. He has an ulterior motive. Like, it's not. I was actually thinking on this watch, like. Roy's super creative. He should get into screenwriting or write fantasy novels or something. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. he has so much other talent that he's not tapping into. But at the same time, this is a first draft. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And, I mean, we learn later that this whole story is just a ploy for him to get her to do things for him. Yes. And- Again, not sexual. No. <laughs> I mean, no, I, I know. I'm just clarifying for the audience. Okay, I think when you talk about a five-year-old and, like, a 30-year-old, it's not... people. I want to be sure. I want to be sure. That Okay, then they get to the land, and they see this huge tree. Such a spectacular shot. This is all, like, a little bit of a lake surrounded by dunes with mountainous regions behind it. The use of blank space, not blank, blank space, but, like, Space not taken up by humans, just taken up by nature, especially in the beginning of this movie, is fucking beautiful. Uh, because we, we see them possible location, which actually does exist. Like, it's this beautiful desert mountain thing. It's right on the uh, border of Tibet and China. And I believe this is one of the few places that you cannot go visit. Like, I think they yeah. had to get some special permission to go here. Like you said, there's this single, like, burnt-out barren tree. Just yes. the only thing populating other, just water, sand, and mountain. 
Their trees cannot grow in the climate where we're at, so they brought this tree there and everything. Then basically the tree starts to burn up and catch on fire. This was actually done. They did put like the stuff in the tree to make it burn up and everything. Now the interesting thing is they the Chinese government and the Chinese army knew that they were shooting there. They didn't tell them about this. So they see this huge fire come up in the middle of this desert and everything. So they start chasing at them with knives and the whole crew have to run away. Tarsum had to act like it was a mistake. He had to yell at the guy for setting it on fire. It was, like, it was only supposed to blow in the wind. It wasn't supposed to catch on fire, even though it absolutely was. But because he didn't want to be killed by this Chinese army and everything. But then we have this amazing shot of someone breaking out of the tree, speaking in a foreign language, which was created by the actor. It felt they, like they, Yeah, they told the actor to just make up this language, and then they had to go do ADR after. So they had to go, and he had to remember all this made-up language, and he did it perfectly. Wow. Like he, this actor is, he plays the mystic. He was also an orange picker at the hospital. Um, He's played by Julian Bleach, who does have a couple credits to his name. Uh, Including his long-running anime series, Bleach. Oh, this is one of the coolest things I found that an actor was in. Also for Billy, who's not here, he's Davros in the new Doctor Who. Oh, is he? That's wonderful. I don't know. How much you've seen but he's the really old looking alien dude in the in the da- he's the creator of the daleks and he's yeah in that this was this was during david tennant right yes it was during david and, tennant i think yeah. he put up for matt smith too so then darwin translates uh what the mystic was saying and that he was sent from his tribe to help them defeat odious because odious has burned up their forest and uh, a great little detail that he has saved all of the birds in the forest by keeping them in his belly. Yes. The bandit does not want their help. And he said, we, we have don't no need, need for mystics. And Otabanga shoots a fish, which makes them come up with a plan. Oh, we can sell fish to be able to break into Odious's palace. Yeah. Otabanga will pretend to be a fishmonger. Uh, yeah. And then the rest will sneak in. And it works. Uh, the men are able to. Be- it works to an extent. Until yeah. <laughs> Oda Benga trips and it reveals yeah. that he is not carrying fish, but rather a shitload of arrows. Yes. Uh, but then the men are able to get around the guards. They defeat the guards on the outside and they look in and there's like 75 guards in this palace. Oh, I forgot to mention the guards are the x-ray technician from before yes, that. Yes, it's, it's, I don't even know how to describe this outfit. It's black leather and they sort of look like that sketch of the Zodiac killer in his bag thing. Yeah. But instead of like a bag, it's like a leather anvil. Like it points out the front and the back is flat. The top yeah. is flat. Like it's sort of anvil shaped. It looks incredible. Also the henchmen who will frequently be referred to as animals are always accompanied by the sounds of animals. Yes, the music is fantastic. We haven't really talked about that, but the music's fantastic in this. And there's going to be some motifs that come up at the end that are really cool. Yeah. Adabanga has a slave song play when his backstory comes up. And they all have their own songs. And I found this really interesting. It was a real slave song that Tarsum had a Russian Orthodox church sing. And the interesting thing is that exact same song was sung by Moby. And it was made into a really big commercial hit. But Tarsum changed it so much that no one even noticed that it was the Moby hit and everything. 
Weird. I'm glad Moby's out there singing slave songs. Yeah, that's where I was like, okay. <laughs> Moby's white, right? Moby's super white. I've never listened to Moby, so I don't know. Oh, yeah. We, we see all these guards. They get taken out by the mystic. Luigi lights uh, dynamite on fire because he's just going to blow the door up. While, while Darwin's trying, like, different keys, like, he's trying to do something. He's like, move aside, friend, unless you want to go kaboom or something like that. <laughs> yes. Uh, I love later on, uh, Tarsum said that he that they wanted an Italian, like, the studio, whatever, people he's working with, wanted an Italian actor to play Luigi. But he's like, no, it can't be an Italian actor. It has to be an exaggerated Italian accent. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and that. it works perfectly, especially <laughs> even though this wasn't the era of talkies silent film but like yeah that's what people would expect from like vaudeville and shit because mm-hmm. this is a south african actor the actor who plays Luigi. oh is it mm-hmm. that's a spicy meat to bowl the mite i think they say mate down there but uh uh he auditioned for uh the doctor and the alexander the great character he's so good as luigi i'm so happy yeah, I agree. Uh, but like you said, yeah, they basically, Darwin gets the key in and they open the door and the mystic has just whew, all these men away. Killed everybody. Um, the other thing I'll say about the guards and everything, though, like you said, they have this black leather on. They talk about in the commentary track how hot the, the men were. I can't mm. imagine how what those people had to go through. Yeah, no, that's a lot. And most of this was filmed in India. Uh, it's it's filmed over 22 different countries, but a lot of like the really interesting and beautiful places we see are in India. And I feel like India is a very hot place. What's that? I believe Tarsum is Indian. Yeah. Yeah. That's what uh, I, I think that's why a lot of it is shot because it was just probably places he's seen and stuff. Maybe. I, I don't know. But um, like I said, it was 17 years that he was scouting. So so then they allow the mystic to join them. And then we break out of the story because Roy asks Alexandria to go out and touch one of his toes. See if he had feeling again. He, he says something uh, like, is it my big toe? And she moves her finger and says yes, even though she was lying and gives him false confidence. And this is, uh, again, a lot of this is just Katinka. And she was like laughing a lot through it. So like Tarson said, Lee ha- Pace had to be a little bit more like, cause he's been so kind and, to, and she feels like. Yeah. His, and they're playing had, a funny toe game. Yes. And what, what he did is one of the shots that when you see his uh, head, <clears throat> he said, he looked at her and he said, Katinka. And she thought it wasn't the movie anymore. Like they weren't shooting anymore and she got like scared. And that's that scene when she gets like that and everything that was because he said Katinka instead of his care. Like he broke. Gotcha. That and, and I just, I wrote here, but I've said it before. I love the childlike innocence of Alexandria. Yeah. It's Cause so she cool. is a child. Like it's, it's yeah. perfect. Uh, the men break into the chandelier hall. This is back to the story. And they find that odious has already tortured and hung the black bandits, brother and crew and this amazing orchestral song is. It, it's it's swelling. And I don't know how I forgot about this, but we see a chandelier made out of human corpses. Absolutely. And I don't know if this was digital or practical, but. That was a miniature, mixed... I believe. Okay. Yeah, I can see that. I can see that. Up until this shot, this was shot in the Hagia Sophia. I think that's how you say it. I which... think so is the very famous one of the, I think it's one of the seven wonders of the world, which was a uh, Catholic temple 
in Constantinople, I want to say. And then when the Turks took it over and turned to Istanbul, it turned into a Muslim mosque. So this was a Muslim mosque they were shooting in and everything. Mm. But uh, but yes, no, I mean, the, the, the corpse of men... I, I remember watching this film. I don't remember this at all, like you said. Yeah. I was like, oh, it's just, you know, it's a childy movie, but it has some... Like, Holy shit! Forgot how dark this movie gets. Oh, yeah. It's gorgeous. So then we see the man who was hiding the pills before, Walt, breaks into the curtains. Lee, Pace, and Walt start yelling at each other, and the old men usher her out. This was one of the first times that they knew that they could only... So all these shots that when they're yelling was a one-time shot because they couldn't get Katinka back in. I understand that. And I'm glad they didn't force her, but yeah, Walt's angry because like he has to listen to this guy, tell this story to a child, which might be annoying. Like it's a fun story. Like I, I would, depending on how he's telling it, I would probably enjoy it, but I could see a character like Walt not. I could see that. I'm, I was always thinking it was something more like they knew Roy wasn't completely there in his head and he was pretty depressed and suicidal and they brought a five-year-old girl around him and stuff. No, I got the impression that Walt was just annoyed at the noise. Walt was annoyed? Okay. That could be too, yeah. Yeah, because I have a note later. I was like, why do these old men want to keep her away from Roy and everything? So then we see uh, Alexandria just kind of walking around. She uh, steals communion bread and uh, give some to Roy. In a very long scene, which I love every time, Roy tries to explain what the Eucharist, the, the communion wafer, is. So and uh, obviously it's a hard concept, and he's not doing well explaining it to her. Uh, she just keeps going, what? 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 Like, sometimes before he can even say anything, like he's about to respond to one of her what's, and she just like cuts him off like, What? <laughs> so cute just uh, a little bit so uh, like you said and then after all that uh, she asks why the old men keep his teeth in a glass and Roy says that's where he keeps his strength and then she basically asks her uh, can she read English and she says yes and he writes and he asks uh, if they keep the medicine in the main block along with the chapel I think that's all he says for now and then we sh- and then he uh, oh, and then Katinka's leg hits a desk and the coffee falls onto a napkin and I love this transition the camera zooms into the napkin covered in coffee and it turns into the blood that was the black bandit wrapping up the bodies uh, of the of the men and everything and then we have another beautiful shot in the movie where we have this huge white sheet in the middle of like a desert and everything and out it's all covered in blood and everything this is one of my favorite images from the movie it's one of my i have a randomized phone lock screen and this is one of them of this pill it's two pillars of gigantic banded log like iron banded logs like a, a fascist um with a long white sheet in between it and they're at the base of it and eventually he will uh, first we see him touching the wrapped corpse of his brother and the blood spreading through the white sheet of that. And then he will touch the sheet as he makes an oath and the sheet will start to absorb his blood and we see blood running up the white sheet. It is fucking amazing. It is so good. It is so beautiful and otherworldly. Now, was that practical too, I'm assuming? I'm not sure. I'm okay. sure they could do it practically, 
but that might like that'd be hard yeah and especially on that scale like it, it's i'm not sure yeah, like you said, so the Black Bandit lays out red rocks around a large sheet um, and swears to get revenge on Odious in this amazing monologue uh, where he finally says that he will destroy him. And every Spanish thing. Uh, but Alexandria doesn't like how the Black Bandit speaks and uh, and Lee Pe- or Roy says something like, well, because he's your father. And she says, well, my father's dead. Uh, Roy says, what? And, uh, and he says, well, how do you want him to speak? And uh, she says, like you. you. And now Lee Pace plays the bandit. And this is where I said that that other actors thought he had a much bigger role than he did. Uh, well, he does come back later, but he's gone for now. I fucking love Lee Pace's acting in that scene. It's so good. He's great. He's like, and I love the difference between his acting as the Black Bandit and his acting as Roy because there are very big differences. Like, he's so natural. He's so natural talking to Katinka because it was more like a natural conversation because he had to improv and roll with it. But, like, he's much more theatrical as the Black Bandit. Mm -hmm. The last conversation between um, Roy and Alexandria is probably my favorite scene in the whole film. And I love it every time I see it. It's such, it's like a masterclass of acting. And then, yeah, so then Roy switches uh, him from Spanish to French. Because after he says he'll destroy Governor Odious and all Spanish things, uh, <laughs> Alexander's like, I, he is, I thought he was Spanish. No, he's Roy's French. like, no, he's, he's French. And yeah. And then they do a, like a thing. And I forget what they say or something, but they all say something, something about Mon Capitan. And then we then we see them at these like hilltop cliff things, but so but then we figure out Darwin has put the map with the bugs and it's now full of holes. So the mystic takes it, he eats it, and uh, basically runs off down into the thing, yelling that they should follow him to greener pastures. So then they basically they follow him down and they see that it is greener at the bottom of the valley. And the mystic takes out a conch and he calls for his entire tribe to meet him. And they come up from the ground and they like grab him and everything. And it's they're so all covered in like mud and all that. And we get a pretty groovy uh, dance sequence. Although yeah. it's, it's like they're sitting down. It's more like rhythmic grunting and arm movement. Sequence. Yeah, it's like a chant of sorts. And now I learned from the commentary track. Now this is just a tribe that's there and they do this for tourism. Yes. And I, I'm assuming it's probably something like maybe a religious thing, maybe it's something tribal, but what I had heard was that it was something conceived wholly for tourists. Oh, uh, really? That sucks. That's what I heard. I could be conflating with something else, but for some reason I feel like that's, I think you're right. But, yeah. Which sucks a but, little bit. But, you know. It sucks a little bit, but also good on them for bilking tourists. Oh yeah, no. I was saying it more sucks that it feels like they're making like a satire of actual tribal chant, or, like trying to make fun of that to get. No, I don't think it's. I don't think they're making fun of it. I, it's like this oh, routine okay. they came up with on their own, but like they're selling it to tourists. Is like, hey, yeah, no, this is something we've been doing for ages. Oh well, okay. If they're doing it, that I thought you meant it was like some rich capitalist came in and like. No, 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 no. Got it. But yeah, no makeup was used. Uh, they actually just laid in the mud to do that whole thing and everything, which I also learned, which was interesting. Uh, but they do this amazing chant that uh, the mystic's body starts turning into a map. 
um, they follow the map and everything, and we get this like super cut of all of these uh, images and um, show the Eiffel Tower, the Colosseum, and these the other pyramids. beautiful. And I love that for this like half a second montage that probably took like six years to film like going yeah. out and shooting all these things and stuff and it's like for three seconds in the film yeah um, but it, it's yeah i love this dance scene when the map turns into his stump because he's ate the it, map and it's it's fantastic it's very energetic it's it's awesome to watch now i heard i, I think i also heard that this this sort of I don't know what you want to call it. Performance was also featured in a movie, I think called Baraka. And I remember back in the day on the IMDB message boards, back when those were still a thing before IMDB rightfully was like, let's get rid of this shit. But people were saying like, Oh yeah. Torsum just stole this from Baraka. So I don't know. Okay. I now this could be just something he said, but he said in the commentary track that he met with them and he actually asked them to do a choreographed dance and that the the things that they're doing is actually choreographed to the pyramids and to a map and everything. But so after this amazing scene, they arrive at Odius's vehicle that is run by slaves um and they get ready to attack Odius when uh, the Black Bandit breaks through the fantasy to ask Alexandria. Oh, this is when ask Alexandria yes. if she- read English. I exactly. Skipped. Yep. Sorry about that. But yeah, I like I said, I love the breaking between the story and the reality. Pisses off Alexandria too, because she's like, <laughs> what? Wouldn't it piss you off? Yeah. Someone is telling you this amazing story, and then they were just like, also, here's something dumb. So yeah, Roy spells out morphine on a paper, asking her to go get him a bottle of it before he can tell any more of the story. But it turns Alex- out he was just a big fan of the band Morphine, and he was trying to get uh, Alexandria to run down to the Amoeba Records for him and pick up the new Morphine album. Absolutely, yeah. Um, and Alex reads it as Morphine 3, which I... Morphine 3! I was going to say, I'm assuming is what the new Power Rangers film will be called. I hope so. Now, this is something interesting. This actually happened that they were shooting it as morphine and Lee Pace's writing is just looks like that three. So he yeah. handed it to her and she was like, she was spelling it out and she was like, and then Tarsum heard it. He was like, oh, that would make a great plot twist. And he just rewrote <laughs> the script to add that in after Katinka actually did that. That's awesome. But Alexandria agrees to help Roy out. She goes and breaks into the dispensary uh, she steals a bottle of morphine right when Evelyn comes in and she hides to not get caught where through a window, she sees a boy who fell into a snake pit, a literal snake pit. Cause we yeah. overhear the doctor earlier going like one snake bite, maybe a whole pit of them, which I, I never assumed that was a naturally occurring thing. Just pits where a bunch of snakes are just chilling. Like that sounds awful i don't particularly i'm not particularly afraid of snakes but that just sounds like a bad thing and maybe our tax dollars should be going to make these liberal fucking snake pits that (laughs) our children are just falling into every day eight thousand children fall into snake pits (gasps) sounds like indiana jones's nightmare yeah no it is it is he canonically hates snakes and I hope I, I hope the Dial of Destiny is all just like um, immersion therapy, uh, and the Dial of Destiny is like a watch he gets 
at the end. It's like, you've achieved your destiny of owning a boa constrictor. <laughs> I love how I think Matt, I think Mads is playing the villain or at least he's in it and everything. And if he is, I would love it if he's just like, Oh, Dr. Jones. And he just takes out a snake and just starts like hitting him with it. I would love it if he dressed up like a snake, like a big <laughs> snake and was just like, Dr. Jones. <laughs> Dr. Jones. Watch me slither, Dr. Jones. Um, yeah, so his mother tells him to uh, wake up or they will chop him into pieces, uh, the little boy and everything. And she spots Alexandria and yeah. sort of like exa- almost hisses. And I Alexandria. Yeah. I think she, I don't, I don't know if she meant to hiss, but it was sort of like a. Like yes. a oh shit, someone's watching me, and I'm just like talking to this corpse. And it's even more startling that it's not like a medical like medical staff; it's just this random little girl. Um, <laughs> but she she runs off and pisses herself like a yeah. dumb baby. Well, she's a dumb baby. Then we have an old man come over and say, "I piss myself too." Yeah, it's it's the Billy Madison thing. It's like <laughs> you ain't cool until you piss yourself. <laughs> uh, and says when she's afraid she just has to say the three magic words googly googly be gone yeah uh, and I Which, love oh, also his advice his advice for getting away with pissing your pants is to hide your cl- hide your clothes until they're dry <laughs> yep so hey. like this movie's teaching you life lessons too <laughs> I just gonna say this movie has life lessons <laughs> Now you know, and knowing is half the battle. <laughs> so when you piss yourself next time, Brad, just hide your clothes. Uh, so yes, he tells her to say, googly, googly, be gone. And I love Katinka. She comes back into the bed with Roy. and Googly, 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 go away. <laughs> she just doesn't care. She's like, oh, whatever. Well, because she doesn't know the word be gone. And then Alexandria brings back the pill bottle, but there's only three pills left. Because she threw the rest of them away. Because it said Morphin 3. Morphin 3, She just yeah. wanted three of them. And then we switch back to the story, and then the men free all of the slaves, and they attack Odious. Let me describe yeah. this wagon, because this is so fucking amazing. It's being pulled by a long train of slaves, like about four across, and at least a dozen deep, like, mm-hmm. in the columns. Meanwhile, there are slaves in the wheels... In like sort of like hamster wheels, but they're just like rods mm-hmm. place, and they're like powering it by just repeatedly running in these wheels as well. And it's so insane. And I know it was a practical effect, which makes it more fucking insane. Yeah, it's it's insane, and it looks so cool. But they they free all of them. Uh, they get ready to attack Odious, and they discover that Odious is not there, but instead it's a woman and a child. Yes, this weird, fancy child uh, who they will end up just abandoning in the desert. I guess to die, yeah. Oh, hold on. As they're chasing off the henchmen who are, like, guarding the the slave wagon, there's a sequence where one of the henchmen gets shot. And this is very pointed. We see this stuntman take a hit to the neck. Like, he falls on his neck. I don't know how the fuck they did that. I hope someone is still walking after that. 
Yeah, they're okay. They they talked about it in the commentary track. They're okay, but that that guy just did that, and he was okay after. But uh, basically, Tarsum was there, and uh, and he ran out because he was like, "Oh my god, is the guy okay?" And he came yeah, down. That's and, a bad fall. Yeah, I think what happened is he made he broke a tooth, but it wasn't as bad as like breaking your neck or like paralyzed or anything. But yeah, he got hurt a little bit. Like there was blood and stuff, but he was okay and everything. That's a miracle because like it, like I said, it felt pointed. Like, hey, you know this movie that's predicated on someone getting horribly injured during a stunt? Yeah. Let me really highlight this. Dane, I assume it wasn't supposed to go that way. I assume he like sort of fell wrong. I'd assume, um, yeah. But I just wanted to shout that out because that was yeah, nuts. I completely forgot about mentioning it. Thank you. And yeah, I mean, it is ironic that this whole movie about a fall had a pretty bad fall. But Evelyn emerges from the wagon, and I love her costume. She she oh, like gorgeous. The the main thing, the thing that's easiest to describe is she has this veil that's actually like two different moving parts that she can mm-hmm. separate and sort of like come up. So it's more like a headband tiara thing, but sort of shaped like a flower ish. Yeah. And we learned she's a princess and she reminds me a lot of almost like a Chinese empress with like the clothing. And yeah. I think that like she had, she had a bit of a Chiang Sami thing on. And the child, who we learn is her nephew, he reminded me a lot of... Have you ever seen the movie The Last Emperor by Bertolucci? No, I have not. Uh, it is. It's okay. It's way too long. But there's this famous... I mean, it was a real story, and this famous child is in it. He's on the poster and everything, and he's running. It looked a lot like him, too. So I was Only wondering if they're going to like a Chinese kind of thing there. I think so. More importantly... Roy is probably envisioning like a Chinese princess or a Chinese aristocrat or something like that. And Alexandria is just putting like, oh, yes, Nurse Evelyn, she is the beautifulest. Yes, that is that is true. Yeah, it could definitely be that. And I think I think that's a good reading of it. I love the exchange of they see her and uh, the bandage says she's mine and they all just take one step back. I also love before they open up the wagon, before the wagon door opens, Luigi throws down a stick of dynamite, I guess, intending to blow the bloody doors off. But uh, And at one point, Alexandria has to be like, what about the bomb? And then I think what, he shoots it or something? He, They begin to scatter and run away. Luigi yeah. shoots the wick. And again, they have just abandoned her like eight-year-old nephew in the desert. Just to die, yeah. That's how it ends in this. It was going to be that the priest was going to come out, that he was in there, and he was going to beat the kid with a cane and then bring him back into the wagon, but they cut that. Mm. I, I, yeah, I, I prefer it this way. Okay, so they rescue the princess. She's also, I don't know if we mentioned, she's played by Sister Evelyn's actress as well, uh, or Nurse Evelyn's actress, who becomes Sister Evelyn. It gets confusing uh but yeah, yeah so the princess is sister evelyn basically they're doing they're talking the bandit and sister evelyn and the princess starts to do a pee dance and sneezes and we can start to see oh it's alexandria doing this and he mentions if you have to go to his restroom it's like two doors down the right yeah. and everything but i never saw this until my second watch if you look that she's actually doing a pee dance the princess and everything i've never noticed before that's great it's a, yeah, and I love that. And then we get into one of my favorite exchanges between Roy and Alexandria about the oranges. 
I don't remember how they get into talking about it. Like, um, because the princess in the story, she's like, and you know, sometimes I just want to throw oranges at a priest. And Alexandra interrupts. She's like, you read my note. <laughs> and Roy's like, I didn't have to read your note. You throw oranges at priests. Everybody knows you throw oranges at priests. Where, yeah, everyone knows you love throwing oranges at the priest. Even the priest knows. <laughs> then we move to its visiting day. Alexandria's mother and sister are there. She asks how long she has to stay there and that she has to get back to working in the groves. Uh, but the doctor says he does not want her working in case she'll fall and that a young girl like her shouldn't be working in the groves. Um, and then they basically, it goes this whole thing where the doctor asks, they're getting translated through Alexandria and Alexandria decides to not actually ask the doctor what the mom wanted to know and tell yeah. the doctor. And there's this whole thing where it's um, uh, a really sad line where Alexand- where the doctor says, Alexandria, I know she said something. What did she ask me? And she says, no, she didn't say anything. That's just how we talk. And I was like, oh, that hurts. Even like a five-year-old would see this racism and everything like – because that's, I'm assuming what that's supposed to hint at. And I, I don't know if it's more or less racism, just ignorance. Like, how many Romanians has this doctor encountered? And then Alexandria sees a beautiful car with a beautiful woman crying inside. Mm-hmm. And then she sees that Roy is meeting with someone about another thing about money for the incident. And he says that he wants to be added to the screening. Uh, which I'm assuming that he just wants that clip in the movie or something like that, or does he want his name attached to it or something? Maybe he just wants to be invited to the premiere or something like that. And then Alexandria sees someone sit at a bench looking at pictures of himself. Well, he's autographing them. Is he? Oh, is he signing them? I didn't even see. I thought he was just a vainful guy looking at pictures of himself, but I mean, he probably is, but yeah, he, no, he's signing autographs. It's the, man who portrays the character that Roy is stunt doubling for. Yes, Sinclair. Sinclair. Upton Sinclair, the jungle. <laughs> the guy who wrote about how we have, what, rat bones in our cereal or something. Or mm-hmm. Dead animals in our meat. But then she also sees uh, someone cutting out newspapers. The guy cutting out newspapers is actually the co-writer, Nico, which is funny. Oh, is he? Yeah, because he's on the commentary track. He's like, that's me. (laughs) That's cool. That character's a dick. Like, he's always just saying shitty stuff. Oh, he's an asshole, yeah. About Roy and about, like, he just being a dick. Oh, God, yeah, he's awful. But, but yeah, then the guy cutting out newspapers says that he needs to get over her, which lets the audience infer that Roy was in love and was actually dating the girl in the car, but Mm -hmm. she chose the actor Sinclair instead. Because he's uh, richer. Well, Roy feels it's because he's richer and more famous and all that. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and then Alexandria goes back with Roy. And now Roy asks her to steal Walt, the uh, other patient's pill. Uh, the man who's constantly complaining about uh, how sick he is and how unwell he feels. Also, we, get, we see a, a short scene of him hitting one of his sons. I was gonna, yeah, I was just gonna mention that, yeah. 
Uh, and he, he always is saying, I'm not feeling very well, or I'm not feeling mm. well and everything. Uh, or he asked her to go steal the pills, saying that uh, Walt has been stealing them and that he has the key. So she steals them, or she walks over, and it's so cute because she has hesitation. Then she finally, like, okay, she waddles over. And how she sits, she, like, puts her body up against the bed and it just, like, clumps down and everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, and how she gets up is cute. But then so she grabs the pills and I love this scene where she walks over the pills, hands them to Roy, and Roy says, yep, that's mine. And he takes the curtain and it swipes into the fantasy scene. <laughs> I think Walt's going to notice that his cabinet's wide open because she never closes it or locks it back up. She doesn't, and I noticed that too. And I was like, Roy, you're not being very smart here, not covering up your trail. Oh, right, you're going to be dead. You don't care. Oh, Wow didn't even think about that that's smart yeah yeah and uh alexandria doesn't she's a baby she's not going to think about covering her trail and roy has no reason to give a shit because he's about to try to overdose on morphine alexandria doesn't even think what she's doing is wrong like she just thinks that uh walt stole this from roy and she's helping out a friend and everything so then roy starts another part of the story and then he takes all of the pills um, a super sad moment when the pills fall on him and Alexandria picks them up and hands them to her hands yeah. them him and everything. And he tells Alexandria that she needs to leave right when he falls asleep. Everything that's happening with Evelyn and the black bandit happens with Alexandria and Roy. So the black bandit also takes pills and stuff. Um, and then Evelyn reveals that she was kept captive by odious and that now the bandit has freed her and that she is now in love with uh, with uh, the bandit, which I'm confused about because then Evelyn reveals that Odious is her fiance. Yeah. Oh, okay. So the person that they're attacking that cab, that carriage probably isn't Odious's carriage. I'm not sure. I think, Um, yeah, because I don't think I ever figured this out, but I think it's that she was kidnapped by someone else and kept captive and that she is actually in love with Odious and that that's a completely different person that she was because then she says she was kept captive and now he's freed her and then she says odious is her fiance i yeah it's a little bit muddy but also roy is like thinks that he is eating a shitload of morphine which also does not make a lot of sense unless roy is just really deluding himself i think like the i am odious's fiance is like a confession on her part like, now that I'm in love with you, I need to tell you the truth. I'm Odious's fiance, and the black bandit hating Odious so much has to kill her. Yes. So, yeah, he ties her up, um, and he shoots her, but the bullet instead hits a locket that she says that it, she was given to it because it was supposed to show who she's supposed to marry for love. And I love this scene when Luigi takes the locket and reads this long ass ingra- in- engraving, yes, which and- is like never marry for money, power, security. And Roy or the Black Bandit says, "It says all of that on that little locket." <laughs> and Luigi just looks and goes, "See." Sí. <laughs> <laughs> um, also, this was shot at the real Taj Mahal because the Taj Mahal's in the background and everything. It was shot at the back of it because uh, Tarsum said that it is impossible to shoot at the front of it because there's so many tourists and stuff. So oh, yeah. he knew if you go in the back, because he shot a commercial there before, if you go to the back of it, you can shoot uh, there and everything. Uh, this is a good spot to mention what something else I found really interesting. As you said, Tarsum spent all this time trying to figure out like where he wanted to shoot and everything. 
what he would do is because he needed money and he financed it on his own, he would pick uh, commercial directing gigs that put him close to the place he wanted to shoot for the fall. So like, oh, you need a commercial in uh, New Delhi? Okay, I'm going to go shoot at the Taj Mahal while I'm here. Nice, crafty. So he pick, yeah, he would pick places. He's a smart man. Do you think Tarsum just like burnt himself out on this? Like, do you think like this was everything he had? I think, well, one, this is his masterpiece. I think we can both agree with well, that. Yeah, no, obviously this is the man who also who went on to direct Immortals. I haven't seen that. But. I haven't either. It's not good from oh, what okay. I understand. I, I think I saw Mirror Mirror and I don't think I liked it. Yeah, I think he put his literally, I think you're right. I think he put his all into this film and for just no one to see it. And like it was critically successful but for no one to see it and him not make his money back. Actually, it's critically very middling. Is it? Yes, it has like a 68 on Rotten Tomatoes. Are these people blind? That's what I was saying earlier. Like, it, the critics didn't help push this at all. Oh, yeah. Roger Ebert's the only one. You know, God, that sucks. But, um, yeah, because, I mean, I, I think Roger Ebert in his reviews said there will never be a film like this again. And he's no. right. Yeah. You, you, it's, yeah, you I, can't do it. I think that's a good point is I think maybe he put his all into this film and he just didn't, no one gave him the affirmation he needed with the film and everything. And he probably just was like, I spent 17 years of my life in this. Do I really want to spend another 17 years making a film that no one's going to see? So I'm sure he was going through depression too. I mean, we know that he broke up with his girlfriend and that's part of this problem. And then also he broke his arm when he was a child and that's where that all comes into. But yeah, I mean, he probably was going through depression and everything and this probably didn't help, you know, and everything. So yeah. But okay. Uh, Yeah. That's another one of my favorite scenes. Uh, Evelyn and the bandit are in the process of getting married. Oh my God. This is, Right, it, it's impossibly stunning. Like there are, we're not whirling... going to explain it. <laughs> no, it, it's in this beautiful. I don't know if it's a cathedral, a mosque, a temple of some sort. It's it's some sort of holy place. It feels like there are whirling dancers just spinning around, and their white garb is like fanning out around them we see a very distinct priest who has like a shaved pate, like he has a tonsure and the sharp eyebrows and this weird jagged costume. And we like, we see multiple levels of the whirling dancers. It is gorgeous. It is stunning. It, it, It will, it'll fucking blow your mind. Yeah. The dancers are Bollywood dancers. I learned. So I'm assuming this was probably shot in India and um, the chanting music, I believe, is, I think this is the scene where it's chanting oogly, 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 begone and everything. Yes. At one point, I think it's after, like, as he's as the black band is about to get married, the mystic grabs his palm and reads uh, misfortune in it. And then he starts yeah. to say the magic words, googly, googly, googly. And we hear the singers chant, googly, googly, googly. It's so amazing. Yeah, it's, it's great. It's an incredible scene. Uh, but then Odious's troops break in and the priest, we learn that the priest betrayed them. The priest is played by the same actor as the priest in the hospital. And this is another one of my favorite transitions is oh you get a zoom up stone face priest and it just turns into the mountain face. Mm-hmm. 
it, fucking it's incredible. Amazing. And it's all a bit of like, it's totally reliant on the perspective of the camera because the camera is going to shift. And we, this image of the priest, like this after image of the priest just fades away as the perspective changes. It's, it's amazing. And then we see the men are all tied up in the desert with the bandits kind of making fun of them. They bring water up to Otabanga's face and like, uh, just kind they of be an asshole. licking ice, like just licking they an ice block. Ice. And we hear like the, like I said before, they're always accompanied with animal sounds. And like here, I think it's the hyenas. Yes. Yeah. Um, I'm almost wondering if, like, the whole licking ice thing is because Alexandria licks ice and, like, maybe Roy doesn't want her to do that anymore because she knows she'll get sick, so he has the bad guys do it. No, I think she's, like, I think Roy is talking about, like, I think the Roy parts are them, like, taunting them with the water and Alexandria is thinking, like, oh, you know what's really refreshing is when I lick that ice. And they're, oh, the guards yeah. are taunting them by being like, you can't lick the ice. Yeah, I like that, yeah. And then, so then we see the bandit's daughter, who is played by the same actress as Alexandria, mm-hmm. um, as Katinka, and she comes out of Darwin's bag. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess Wallace and her both were in there. <laughs> um, and she crawls out, and she saves the men, uh, unties them, and... This part was a little bit confused. The the, the troops just kind of ride away. Yeah. But Roy has a gun and he's like, he can't even stand anymore. And like, they could definitely overpower him, but they just kind of decide to run away. Well, because this is Alexandria's interpretation. It's like, one, Roy is probably not saying much at this point. No, that's true. Given the fact that Alexandria is now totally driving this because Roy was just going to have him die. Okay. Or he, he was going to die and the story would peter out. But Alexandria's like, no, no, it's me, your daughter, it's me, Dada. I show up. Um, um, I, I'm there to save you all. And I give you a gun, because she slips a gun into the Black Bandit's hand. Yes. And she she's waiting for Roy, or the Black Bandit, to shoot them. And he's not saying anything. So that's them just, like, riding off. So she just gets rid of them. Yeah, that would that would make sense. Um, and then they have a cute little scene together. They talk a little bit and they kiss um, on the cheek and stuff. Yes, on the cheek. <laughs> I saved myself this time. And uh, and then Alex and then Roy finally falls asleep. Uh, Alexandria leaves, and we flash to the next morning, where Alexandria looks out the window and she sees a body being carried out. And assumes that it's Roy's, runs out to check, hits his little toe that that she used to do that. And she runs back to Roy's room and she finds that Roy is still in his bed. Yes. I also want to I want to jump back a second. And while she is aggressively wiggling the corpse's toe, uh, she's saying, wake up or they'll chop you up, which is what the migrant mother was saying to her snake bit ass son she just kept saying they'll chop you up they'll chop you up you need to wake up and it shows us again how much of her environment alexandria absorbs yes i completely agree and on katinka's part i mean this is fun this is best acting a five-year-old i mean come on yeah a five-year-old i was just 
shitting myself at five years old. Here's the stuff that I worry about with like sort of the let's play pretend stuff with the Katinka. Like, did they actually tell her that Lee Pace or Roy was dead? And they're like, no, they wouldn't have done that. I hope not. No, because like I said, every time that she would freak out because they would yell, they would go and tell her it's just a movie and everything. So like, I think the only thing they kept from her is that he was a paraplegic. And I think, I don't, I don't agree with lying to kids to get this motion. And like, that's not, not great and everything. But I think also from playing Trunchbull in Matilda Jr. and everything, after those kids knew that I wasn't uh, that person, they would just laugh every time I tried to do something scary, which as we know, like when you play someone scary, so you're not actually scaring someone like in one flu or something, but we as actors know to act scared. Yeah. They didn't know that. And I don't think Katinka would have been, you know, like she wouldn't have thought he was actually paraplegic. She wouldn't have gotten the same emotion and like she wouldn't have acted the same way, if that makes sense. Gotcha. So I think as long, yeah, I mean, I, I think what they did was okay. I think if they did what you said and said he was dead to get, that would be fucked. Yeah, um, no, definitely. But no, they wouldn't. I don't think they would do that. Uh, but yeah, I mean, just amazing acting by Katinka. And we find out he's alive and old creepy teeth has died. He was a nice old man. He taught her how to piss her pants. <laughs> he, the old piss pants himself died. Old piss, old general colonel piss pants. <laughs> he, was a, he was a U.S. He, senator. I, first, he was a Civil War hero, sir. <laughs> Serving from both sides. He was a general on, uh, for the Union and a colonel for the Confederacy. And there he just... Go. Every battle he rode into just stinking like piss. I think he was he, the most... He rose <laughs> further in the Union because they had the blue. So that the dark blue hid the piss better than the gray. And the gray. So like they just smelled it and he'd be like, Oh, that's my cologne. <laughs> um, wasn't he a messiah as well yeah he did start a cult briefly the the, the piss cult <laughs> well he wasn't yeah no did he drink a lot of piss sure yeah sure but it wasn't a piss cult piss well, was just a feature of the cult well I do remember when he told all his members to go down to Guyana and they would all have piss in cups, and he would put cyanide in the piss, and he would just they would all drink the piss. See, that's a wild liberal fake news, uh, mainstream media take about what happened. Like there, it was just some bad piss. It was no one's fault. It was just some bad piss. Usually, it's sterile. Yeah. Maybe there's an X Men. Maybe there was an X Men down there. A new stage in human evolution who has piss that is dangerous. <laughs> and that's, that's the theory that Colonel G- general Colonel piss pants stands by. It was, I think his name was Jessup, Jessup piss pants. Je- well, piss pants was a nickname. That's a common misconception. His real name was, uh, yeah. Uh, Jessup Abernathy. Abernathy. Okay. Yeah. 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 Um, what was his middle name? <laughs> Urine. Um, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. So Jessup Jesus, Jesus Christ, Christ Abernathy. In my many biographies I've written about Jessup Abernathy, I, I usually, I when I need to refer to his full name, including his nickname of Piss Pants, 
or old piss pants. Well, that's what it the book go, is called, right? Yeah, well, that w- that had to be censored, so it ended up being uh, General Colonel Pee Pants. Pee Pants, okay. A life in piss. They let me get away with the sack. I could only get away with one piss, and I, I thought it was more prudent to use it second. But it, it generally goes General Colonel Jessup Jesus, quotation mark, piss pants, quotation mark, Christ Abernathy. Okay. Was the uh, was the second memoir called If I Piss Them Pants? No. That was the music video we made to promote the memoir. Uh, the memoir was called... Ah, um, oh, shit. I was trying to think of some punt with... Uh, P and C, and I just couldn't come up with it. Now, uh, but this episode's uh, already over two hours long, so let's cut let's the go. bit here. <laughs> All right. So, yeah, then I, um, she sees the old piss pants has died. Roy wakes up and he starts freaking out because he now discovers that Walt has been getting a placebo this entire time mm-hmm. and that it wasn't real morphine. And uh, Roy gets a, he starts screaming at he's Walt. He's flipping out. He's a real piece of shit that he's still alive. It's like every time shit. I woke up hoping I would be dead and I just threw a fit like a baby boy, like I'd never get anything done. Yeah, it's true. Now I have a couple little notes about here from the, the commentary that are pretty. One, uh, my own note, such good acting by Lee Pace. It scares me every time I see this, how he can switch from being pretty kind gentle person and even just waking up and just being passed for like and just going straight into catatonic like yeah it, it's fantastic um so this scene <clears throat> right before the freak out it was shot 17 times because uh tarsum knew after lee pace freaks out that's your one shot and katinka will never go near him for another three days Mm-hmm. so they shot up to that 17 times make sure everything else got right lee pace was so upset because he was sitting in this bed 17 shots and he didn't get to say a thing because every time it would come to his big moment they would stop so by the time he freaked out lee pace was actually freaking out because not actually but he was getting upset at tarsum so when he's yelling he's not acting all that much gotcha. but the really cool fact is this entire freak out was done with one shot which is amazing um alexandria's rushed out uh later on nurse evelyn uh talks to her and helps her fall asleep but she's told that roy is not allowed any visitors and then after evelyn leaves with what'd you say mr fuck toy was that his name they leave uh alexandria sneaks down to the dispensary uh where she sees the x-ray man again we also hear the sounds of hot fucking. Yeah, okay, do we hear that? That's what I assumed it was, is just the sound of Evelyn and the doctor fucking really okay. loudly. So I never knew, I never heard that before, but in the commentary track, originally, uh, Tarsum is a big fan of David Lynch and Blue Velvet, and he wanted them to be in there with oxygen, and they were going to be sucking oxygen on masks and then fucking with these oxygen masks on, and Katinka was going to see that awful scene and then run yeah. over to the, not Katinka, Alexandria um, uh, and um, and then run over to the dispensary but they cut that, thank god yeah um, but yeah, so Alexandria tries to grab the pills but her foot hits like some kind of something on the desk and she falls and this amazing amazing scene 
with and she fall this music and the pills shatter and her head hits the floor and everything and we go into this like surrealist montage like i don't know how it's very hard to describe like it's very dreamlike it's very trippy eventually it becomes fully stop motion up until like she flashes back to when her house was burned down and her father her father running out, and it's very stylized. It's very not realistic, and not realistic much. Like all the story stuff that we've seen has been realistic, but this mm-hmm. is so much more stylized. And then it becomes fully stop motion, where we see that she's imagining uh, giant figures looming over her and opening up her skull and pulling out paper that looks like her note with the little cuts in it supposed to be her brain yeah yeah and when we see her neck she's laying on a hospital bed with her head fully bandaged it's it's insane it's hard to describe it's it's in a movie that is really does it needs to be seen to even understand what we're trying to say but like in a movie that shows you so many amazing things that there's like this one move, like sequence that is singular inside of a movie that is already aggressively singular is something special. Uh, then we get flash images of her um, seeing the doctor, yo at Roy for letting Alexandria get hurt. I love that we don't have to do a dumb scene where the doctor yells at Roy because that's what movie, like a movie would show that, like her waking up and seeing this. But instead, it's just these tidbit flashes. When she wakes up, she sees Roy sitting next to her. Roy reveals to her that his story was just a ruse for her to get for her to get him pills. And but Al- Alexandra wants to know the rest of the story. I mean, you mm-hmm. brought her to this point, and he's like, "There is no end. I just made this up." And she's like, "No, I want to know the end." And Lee Pace is just fucking... This is the scene I was saying is incredible. Yeah. No, here's where the crying starts. Yep. Oh, completely. Um, the the line that hits me the hardest is Lee Pace says, there's no happy endings with me. But yeah, I mean, this is... in my. I mean, I haven't seen a ton of Lee Pacing. I haven't seen Pushing Daisies. But this, to me, is the best performance of Lee Pace in a scene. I mean, he is... He's so underrated and he's not in enough... But uh, but yes, yeah, so Roy reluctant, reluctantly uh, starts to tell her the rest of the story. Uh, it is revealed that Nurse Evelyn is back to having her relationship with Odious, and the uh, the men begin the siege onto Odious's palace. And we see Wallace; he starts to climb the uh, the castle walls. I'm skipping a little bit of stuff here. Yeah, that's fine. In a little long, uh, Wallace starts uh, walking on the castle walls, and we hear a gunshot. And they, because well, because Wallace sees the butterfly that they were searching for this whole journey yes. and everything. You're a gunshot, and they run over, and Wallace has been shot, which is big sad. And it is a big sad. I, I it always gets me because uh, they're going to start dropping like flies, and this is the smart choice. Like even though we like all these characters, uh, Wallace as the cuddly animal is, and as the first to go is really just setting us up for. What's coming? More heartbreak, yeah. Yeah, and this was a real... Um, I know, I'll i let you talk about that architecture, because that's a beautiful shot, is what I'm assuming you were going to. Well, I was just going to say that Darwin is distraught, and he runs up to the top of this structure, and we see... This is an image that 
is always my desktop background. Uh, yeah. It is of what is called a step well. It's a real architectural thing in India. Mm-hmm. And it is just I mean, levels and levels and levels of sort of crisscrossing stairs. Mm-hmm. And it is an insane visual. And now imagine that being viewed from the top and you have all these leather-clad guards crisscrossing each other as they line up to kill Darwin. Mm-hmm. With a monkey in the middle platform with this huge guy with this beautiful coat. Oh, it's so gorgeous. It's amazing. It's very MC Escher to me as well with the infinite staircases, which this predates MC Escher by probably a thousand years or whatever. But but still, it reminded me of that and everything. Um, and uh, now, obviously, Wallace was played by a real monkey. And I love Tarsum's thing here. He's just like, uh, everyone on crew was like, you better not kill that monkey. And he's like, <laughs> we didn't kill the monkey. It's just some ketchup and, and a couple drugs to help the monkey like fall asleep or something. Yeah, I don't know. I appreciate that they use real animals, but I'm also like, shouldn't use real animals. I, I agree because I mean I'm huge animal lover, vegetarian, and everything, and I agree with that. But I think from everything I've heard of, these animals were treated very humanely, and like they weren't abused, hopefully, or anything. And like, yeah, I, I, I think they were treated well. I hope. Well, they had to drug the monkey. Yeah, that I mean, yeah, that's awful. But is it? Well, is it just like a sleeping pill to help it fall asleep? Or I don't know, but it's not something either. to be like doing out in nature. No, I didn't really like hearing that either. But, like, you know, I do like them using real animals because it looks better. But, like, also I never want to see animals get hurt. So Yeah, I um, know. It's 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 a tough line to line to draw. Yeah. But, like you but said, I, I'm very sad when Wallace dies. And Darwin is also very sad. He's yeah. distraught. And he has the wonderful line, Go on! Shoot you animals! They'll pay you well for Darwin's hide. And then he gets shot like three times. And, and he falls down into the water at the bottom of the step well. Yes, which was real a real stunt done. Uh, not by the actor, obviously, but by stuntmen and everything. And, uh, the other men run away while Roy voices over saying all things must die. And then here's where I was talking about the music motifs. So I didn't know this uh, hearing it originally, but I listened to the thing. So I don't know what Darwin's is. I haven't heard anything. We see Luigi's every time a character dies, the next character's music comes in. So Luigi's mm. is just an organ. And then Audubenga has his slave chant come back in. And the Indian has the Indian's music from the beginning. And the bandit, what it's supposed to show is after the Indian, when the bandit happens, that Alexander the Great music plays up. And that's supposed to have Alexandria feel like this is when Lee Pace is done. This is when he's going to kill the bandit off and everything. I love that idea. Yeah, the other men run away. Uh, Luigi is shot in the foot, and he tells the other men to run away while he holds off Odious's men. As I said before, Luigi is played by the one act, one-legged actor, so Luigi gets shot in the foot, symbolizes mm. that whole thing. Um, he leads him into a room, and he blows up the entire temple. They all surround him, and he opens his coat, and he goes, Kaboom! Kaboom! So good. Now, here's where I was going to say, I wasn't going to bring this up, but I'll bring it up really quick. The actor originally for the shot opened it up and said, Al-Qaeda says hello. Oh. 
Yeah. And I was like, oh God. And Tarsum said, went up to him and said, they will literally kill you. Like, don't fuck with these people. They will literally kill you and stuff. So I like Kaboom a lot more. Kaboom is a lot better. Yeah. No. Yeah. It, I was fits, like, Ooh, it's it fits a lot better. Uh, but yes, yeah, so he kills all of them. Um, and the men continue to run away while the bandit's daughter uh, keeps crying, saying she doesn't like the story anymore and she wants mm-hmm. the death to stop. And then Roy, uh, she asked, why did Luigi have to die? And Roy says he wanted to die because he didn't want to live half a man. Shows Roy being yes. paralyzed, thinking he's half a man. Um, and then we get to the mystic. The men start kicking the mystic and they break his, his teeth. His teeth had fallen out. Yes. Yeah, they break his teeth and they start uh, kicking him. Um, and he is stripped naked uh, while he screams googly. And uh, the bandit's daughter runs to help, but Adabanga catches her and he, she saves her and he's shot multiple times with arrows. And um, so for the mystic's death, he is put against a tree and he's, he's stabbed multiple times with axes and everything. And what I read it as is that well, one, uh, when he gets hit with the knife, a bird comes out of his mouth and everything, which say he says he keeps the birds in his belly so the birds come back out of his mouth, which I picked up on that on the first time. But the second time I didn't pick up, he's trying to go back into the tree because that's how he was born was out of the tree that burns up. He's trying yeah. to go back and he can't and everything. Um, I think that's how I read it. Maybe that's not what it is, but that's how I read it. Um, the, the, the thing that they tried to do is they actually tried to put a bird in the actor's mouth Oh, uh, for it to come out. Ortolan. What's up? Ortolan. Ortolan is a meal that consists of maybe a live bird, at least a whole bird, like feathers and all, that you just pop in your mouth and just chomp down on. That's awful. It's not a live bird because they drown it in wine. Jesus. I don't like that. Well, it's illegal, so there's that. It is. But no, they tried to put a bird in the actor's mouth, not like down its throat, but probably just so it could fly out. Uh, But it bit him, so they added it in post instead. That's one of the things they did in post. And then Adabanga, like I said, gets shot. And I love this scene of him. He's laying on, like the, uh, the arrows are in his back but he falls over and he's like laying on top of the arrows and everything. I love like one of the most enduring images of the movie for me. Yeah, I would, I would definitely agree. Um, so the remaining three run off to fight odious. Uh, they start to climb up a building, uh, but the guards are catching up fast. So the Indian sacrifices himself by cutting the rope and they all fall down. That's the Indian's death. And um, Alexandria asks why he is killing everyone off. And Roy says it's his story, which Alex replies, it's mine too. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is heartbreaking because it is. It is. It is. Uh, so then the bandit and his daughter finally arrive to Odious, who we now know is Sinclair. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, we saw it before. Did we see it? Oh, yeah, we did. Yes, I'm sorry. In the window. Um, but yes. Uh, so Odious, Sinclair. Uh, Roy holds Odious at gunpoint, but is distracted by Evelyn. 
Um, and Alexandria keeps talking over him, saying how his girlfriend left him, and this is why he's so sad and everything. And he also talks about, because she's a baby and is confused, like about how Evelyn is with the doctor, even yeah. though in her story, Evelyn is with Roy. Roy. Even though Evelyn and Roy have never met, I don't Exactly. Believe. No, because she even says to uh, Alexandria, Nurse Evelyn does, maybe you could take me down and introduce me to your friend, Roy. Your friend, yeah. Um, so then uh, Royce runs after Odious and gets cracked right in the nose with a cane, mm. uh, which is great um, and everything, and uh, pushes him into the pool uh, where Odious basically holds him down into the water because he can't swim and everything. Something important to mention is that his cane is a sword cane, and Odious yes. takes out the sword and lays it against like a flower planter type thing at the yeah, edge of the pool as yeah. before he gets in to just yeah, beat the shit out in. of Roy. Yes, yeah, and beats the shit out of Roy. Um, and Alex and the bandit's daughter start crying for him to get up, but he can't. Oh, such good acting by Lee Pace mm -hmm. saying he can't, he's too weak. Um, and revolt Roy says that the bandit is a coward and he's not Alex's father, Alexandria's father. Uh, Alexandria pleads again for him to not let Roy starts crying to not let Roy or the bandit die. And eventually Roy, after breaking down crying, lets the bandit live. He jumps out of the water, punches Odious into the water. And Alexandria says no more fighting runs over to his daughter, helps her and they leave. Uh, where where they're encountered by Evelyn, who says that, oh, I, it was just the test. I loved you the entire time, but he rejects her. Um, little tidbit from the behind the scenes. Um, Tarsum wanted uh, Lee Pace to jump out and start beating the shit out of Odious. It was supposed to be a long beatdown. Katinka literally on set kept yelling for the fighting to stop because she didn't want to, because she's a five-year-old. She doesn't want to yeah. see the fighting. So Tarsum changed it to... Uh, for Katinka and everything. That's great. Uh, and then we get my favorite line in the entire movie. In his days, Governor Odious has backed against the sword he placed at the edge of the pool and impaled himself. Uh, it's so good. Yeah, he stumbles back, completely impales himself. He's able to get up off the sword, walks about two feet, holds himself, and goes, I don't feel, I'm not feeling very well, and falls on the ground. It makes me completely lose it every single time I see it. Like, completely laughing. I, oh, it's the funniest thing ever to me. Um, and it's Tarsum's favorite line. So that Oh, it's hilarious. Happy. Yeah, it's it's a good one. Uh, um, but this also, oh, the I'm not feeling very well was also because Walt was supposed to play Odious from the beginning. And that's why he always says, oh, I'm not feeling very well. And then one of the writers said to Tarsum, was like, I don't, I think Sinclair should play Odious because it's more personal between uh, Lee Pace. And that's, but they never changed the line, but that's supposed to be Walt's line. Gotcha. Um, and then we get to the last scene in the movie. Uh, the, the fighting's over and they are watching the movie from the beginning. Uh, it's now been actually put, the whole hospital comes together uh, we see all our uh, men from the fantasy as their actual counterparts, as the orderly and everything. Uh, the director's there. Um, the Sinclair's there. And um, they're watching the footage. And uh, Roy sees that his jump was edited 
Uh, but he looks around to see if anyone recognized that it was actually him, but nobody did. And um, uh, one <laughs> here's a fun thing. Uh, Lee Pace has a dog sitting in his lap during this. Yeah. Uh, the dog started having their period on his lap. And the owner said that, no, the dog didn't have its period, was in denial. So Lee was like, there's blood all over my lap and everything. Um, which, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I thought it was I learned in the commentary that was a fun fact. And uh, the children, they look so, like, excited and happy yeah. and everything. And Torsum was just showing them Disney movies. They'd never seen a movie before. Wow. And my last little fun fact about this is uh, the man running on the railroad at the end, uh, Lee Pace wanted to do that really badly, but they didn't have the insurance to let him do it. So yeah. Torsum did it. That's your director cameo. That's oh, him. interesting. Um, and then we jump to the orange orchard. Alexandria's arm has been completely healed. Um, she talks about how much she misses Roy. Uh, and then we hear that Roy has been healed. He's back to being a stuntman. Um, and famous silent film stunts are shown, uh, such as like Buster Keaton and them. And Alex imagines them all to be Roy doing them. Mm-hmm. What do you think of the ending? I I enjoy it. I don't personally interpreted either way i i guess i assume that roy died like not long after that Um, it's an ambiguous ending did he get better and stunt again or is alex just trying to make her own happy ending for him uh as roy says there's no happy endings with me basically i don't have an opinion either way i can read both ways uh, I this is my favorite thing I got from the commentary. That's why I wrote it here. This exactly what he says. This is what Tarsum says about his ending. If you believe he got better and started stunting again, you're an optimist. If you think he spent the rest of his life in a hospital as a paraplegic, you're a pessimist. And if you don't care what happens, you're a skeptic. Yeah, I think it's a good good thing to see. You know, I mean, it's true. Yeah, in a way. Yeah. Oh, like Brad, what do you think of the fall? Oh my god, I love it. I still loved it. I haven't watched it in a while, uh, but it's it'll always be one of my favorites. You're never going to get anything like this. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I think it's the most beautiful film. Uh, I think the amount of times we said this is just an amazing shot, this is amazing, shows how great this film is, and I, I think it's such a crime that more people can't watch it. Without paying $25 for a DVD. Yeah, it is. It is. I hope that gets resolved someday. Um, Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, it's a, and if you can watch it, do it. It's so good. Absolutely. All right. Anything you would like to say? Nope. Thanks for everybody for listening. Yep. Thank you for listening. Bye. Bye.